Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. It's July 14th, 2021, and uh, it's time for Morning Combat. I hope you're doing well. After all the craziness from last week and then Monday's show, I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined by royalty on the other side of your screen. Uh, He's a man with a recovering liver, but remains, remains the king of Connecticut. It's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hi, Luke. I'm I'm here. I'm still recovering from Las Vegas. You do need a good two weeks. I mean, I ate... I ate borderline clean this time too, Luke. Yes. I know RSD. I can, I can confirm that you did. You really did. I mean, you know, is RSD down with THC? Yeah, you know me. But outside of that, Luke, you know, I didn't really kill my body, but just the grind. 115 degrees day after day, providing the MK folk with not what they want, Luke, but what they need. Okay, I'll be your Huckleberry in this regard, Luke. Okay, you motherfucker. Yeah, I tried to tell my wife that I was tired, but that was that was not a very convincing message. No, that but doesn't I, work so well. Yeah, hold yeah. on. Whoa, crap. Come here. Come here. But I have I gotta, to. I have to tell you that um, you got you got your cat. That I got uh, a visitor here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I tried to make that argument and it didn't work. But you're right. You need a few days to get your feet under you a little bit, especially as we get older, man. Um, but you're right. You did sleep pretty good. And you did eat pretty good. So yo, Luke, um, check out this one, right? Hey, who's this? This is Emma. She's the best. She's the best, right? Emma, what's up, man? Girl, whatever. Yeah, usually females are named Emma. I mean, sometimes they they named a man Dana. I mean, a lot of of things can happen in 2021, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they they do that. Um, Anyway, uh, I hope, did you have a good day off, BC? I know you were a little bit quiet yesterday. Did Did you do anything fun? Um... Yeah, I slept like the whole day. My wife was real mad. You know, it was great. It was great. You know, but Luke, you got to recharge those batteries because here's the deal. No days off, brother. Okay. MK all day, yeah. nearly every day. Okay. You know what I mean? We weren't even on yesterday and we still gave a delectable piece of content for the people. Okay. I don't see Canada doing that. Uh, you know, you can have five jobs. None of them are as good as MK. I'll tell you that much right <laughs> now. Hot take alert. Hot take machine right here. Your boy BC. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, I, took, Emma? I took my daughter. I don't know what you call these things because they're not. I didn't pay to get in. It's just part of the public. But they put a bunch of playgrounds all throughout the city now. And then next to the playground, they put these things where the water comes out of the ground. So it's not a swimming pool, but it's like a it's like a sophisticated sprinkler system. What would you yes. call that? Uh, a way to clean up the less hygienic. Yeah, I guess it's not really a water park. But I took my daughter to that, and she had a blast. And you it's took just her to the, the drinking hose, basically, you know? Yeah, a little bit. It's a little more sophisticated than that. But uh, anyway, I'm going to take her back today because she loved it. I took her to the pool, and she was a little bit iffy about it. So we're going to Luke, how's her functional Spanish at the moment? Better than mine. <laughs> Better than mine. Yeah, she'll, she, uh, she knows more Spanish than she does English. I mean, uh, it's about 50-50, but it's answer your question just fine. 
just fine. Anyway, great, great stuff. Listen, that was a real, you know, between Emma the Cat and your daughter's Spanish, this is a real, real yeah, home style way to open the show. Right? Yeah, that's a great show on? that we're doing. Yeah. Please vote for us and give us awards that we don't deserve. Uh, all right, so we have a lot to do today, actually, believe it or not. We, of course, have fan subs we'll do at the end. Um, but we also have some fights this weekend. We have Showtime Boxing on Saturday. We have Bellator on Friday. We have UFC on Saturday as well. So a lot of different things we have to get to. We'll start with some of the main event stuff today. First things first, as always, thumbs up, hit subscribe. BC's wearing merch that we don't offer, but we kind of know we have it. So you can actually go to our site, morningcombat.store, and then not buy it there. Yeah. Um, you want to wear MK on today? Then, then go to our site and hope that one day this shirt shows up there, okay? Or that we get communication from our above people that, you know, into questions that we have, that we need answers for. Outside of that, though, it's great merch, morningcombat.store. Check it out. Uh, put your abuela in a sweatshirt at store.show.com. And maybe maybe we'll open up a third store at some point, Luke. Who knows, right? Yeah, we might have to. Um, but by the way, if you want to try Showtime, because there is the boxing this weekend, there, of course, is the MMA this weekend. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do something else. But there is your offer. You want to email us, either for fan subs or for now, Fridays, dead wrong, morningcombat at gmail.com is the best place to do that. And, of course, you already can saw give all our socials. Can I give a two-second sincere plug to Showtime? Um, what a time to, to get your 30 days free if you want them, and you should, because how about a four-belt, 154-pound unification bout this Saturday with Jermell Charlo? How about... Pitbull versus McKee in the biggest fight in Bellator history to close the month. How about, uh, you know, the road to to Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, and uh, the return of David Benavidez next month? I mean, this, you know, the next 30 days or so, Luke, or, or 60 even, are going to be pretty big on Showtime across all forms of combat. So uh, get on board. Join what we're doing, okay? If you want to be like Ben Folks and watch some show called Gigolo on the Showtime app, I, I'm not going to judge you, okay? You know? All I do is sell predatory loans, Luke. That's all I do, okay? Let's keep this show moving. Give me your car title. I'll give you five bucks. Uh, All right. With that out of the way, BC, uh, with that preamble, let's get the show started. As we mentioned, there are, in fact, three bigger, big-ish, three events on our radar. There, of course, is the boxing fight this Saturday, and then the two MMA fights, Bellator on Friday, UFC on Saturday. We start, though, on the boxing side of things. I just want to go over what you think are for the main events for each of these events, right? What you consider to be the dominant storyline. We start with Charlo taking on Brian Castaño. Um, there's an all access on the Showtime Sports Channel. BC recommended it to me that I watch. I did. I thought it was very, very good. I find the interaction between Charlo and his brother to be mystifying, yet somewhat intriguing. I find the differences between them to be actually kind of interesting as well as people. But here's the deal, BC. You already know this, but let me set this up for the audience. BC was talking about this being a unification. Right. This is for all the marbles, folks. This is 154 pounds, so this would be the MMA equivalent of lightweight. If Charlo beats Castaño on Saturday, he'll have all four. He'll have all of them. He'll have he'll be the guy in this weight class and nobody else will be. BC, is that the dominant storyline here or is there something else to this that we should be paying attention to? Well, look, that's the prize. So that's the dominant storyline from the standpoint of why does this fight truly matter? But I think even deeper it's this. Luke, you remember when the Charlo brothers uh co-headline a pay-per-view last year and Jermel, who's going to fight again on Saturday, he had a big bout against Jason Rosario. It was a unification, but I think in that fight we knew Charlo was rightfully favored. We wanted to see if Banana though could, you know, provide an upset or provide some resistance but for his brother Jermall that night Luke 
That was the fight in his middleweight term to figure out how good he really is. He had to go in there against Sergey Dervinchenko, and that was sort of like, okay, we've seen him against, you know, names. We see it, but now let's see him against somebody really, really tough and elite. And in some form for Jermel, although he's not hurting for a resume in that same regard in terms of proving himself, this may be the toughest fight he has had up to this point at 154 pounds. The, the dominant storyline for me is the style contrast. What Charlo does great is potential kryptonite for Castaño, who's a forward mover, could potentially walk right into what Charlo, as an insanely efficient and powerful counterpuncher, does great. But on the flip side, Luke, what Castaño does better than anyone in this division, which is put his head down and get inside and have a two-fisted attack going to the body and just basically clubbing you, that's a great form of potential kryptonite to, to corner Jermel. To, to outwork Jermel. So you have two guys going in there to try to be the undisputed champion. Yes, that's the big banner that gets you in the door. But this may end up being Jermel Charlo's toughest fight in this division on paper because Castaño is a lot better than people realize. Maybe you only saw that draw he had against Arislandi Lara on Showtime a couple of years back. Uh, he is of this world-class uh, elite, Luke. And maybe he's a little bit more rugged and aggressive than skilled but he's got an interesting, sleepy chance here coming into this fight. We're going to talk a lot about Jermel because he's got three or four belts. But Castaño is a live dog. And I love this fight. And I love how these two styles can potentially pair off of one another. What happens if Charlo wins? right? Because you're basically done in the weight class. Usyk is the last guy, that, to my mind, to unify all four belts for his cruiserweight title. Then he went up to heavyweight. Now, that really hasn't... I mean, it got started, but it's not really cooking off. His brother is the champion, a weight class up. Is he going to go up to 160? Like, what's he going to do here? Well, don't forget that Josh Taylor just uh, became the undisputed champion at, at 140 pounds after beating Jose Ramirez earlier this year. But to your point, what does oh, yes. Jermel do? Look, what am I saying? Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Look, by beating Rosario and in, in, in getting three or four belts, Jermel became the man at 154 pounds. So here's the deal about this division. It's loaded, but Luke... Some of those bigger names that, that were just recently the kingpins, the J-Rock Williams, the Jared Hurds, you know, they're, they're coming off of defeats. They're trying to reload. So if there was a time for Jermel Charlo to look at the landscape and consider a move to 160, it would, it would most likely be after this fight. If he can bring all four titles together, become the first fighter in super welterweight history to be the undisputed champion in this four-belt era, you know, there, there could be. But the thing is, there's not a ton of big names in the PBC side at 160, which is why you and I have been basically saying, hey, Jamal Charlo, you're great. But you want the real smoke that's out there, you probably have to go to 68. I think for Jermel, there's still bigger fights to be made at 154, Luke. When Jarrett Hurd comes back, you got J-Rock in there. You got, you got some other, uh, uh, you know, you're going to eventually have Errol Spence Jr. moving up. Uh, you've got Danny Garcia talking about moving up to 154. There's potential money fights for Jermel at 54. Right now, though, he's going through and getting those fights that define your resume, and that's what Castaño is. Got it. Okay, well, it'll be interesting to see. Um, how, how would you describe the differences between the brothers in terms of their styles in the ring? They obviously started with uh, similar trainers, but then... Uh, Jermel broke away with Derek James. He do, it does seem to me he marches to the beat of his own drum a little bit differently than his brother. The whole fish tank thing, and I don't know, he certainly has a, a, a measure of introspection that I don't know that Jermel has, at least not to the same degree. Does that reveal itself in the ring at all? 
All right, they used to be the only way to tell the guys apart was to say this. Jermall's the puncher of the two. Jermell's more of the slick boxer. That changed that narrative, Luke, dramatically when Jermell left the longtime camp they both had in Houston with Ronnie Shields and joined forces with Derek James, who's one of the you know best rising trainers in the game, also Errol Spence Jr.'s trainer. Uh, James really turned Jermell into such an, uh, an incredible counter-puncher and knockout specialist with that. So the new way to really define is, look, both brothers can do all things, right? Jermall's a little naturally bigger. That's why he's at middleweight right now earlier. But Jermall is more of a classic big jab, walk you down, look to set up the overhand right. Yes, he can do all things. He's a very good boxer. What makes Jermell different as a fighter, Luke, he kind of fights this new style, which which really Canelo has spearheaded the past few years, and now we're seeing Gervonta Davis do it too. The style is efficiency. You're not throwing a ton of punches. You're looking really to stay in that pocket and find that right moment to land the perfect counter shot that's either going to force a knockdown, a knockout, or really you know sway the momentum of the fight increasingly. The problem at times for Jermel Charlo, in my opinion, Luke, is he doesn't throw enough punches. He's very much in love with with what his power is at 154 and his counter shots. You know, you've broken down videos of the Charlo brothers before. They're just absolutely beautiful uppercuts, you know, hooks, like just perfect timing and explosion. But, you know, he had that two fight series against Tony Harrison. Jermel did that was fantastic. The first one, you know, I thought he got a little bit jobbed on the scorecards, but the reason why he had a chance to get jobs is he didn't throw enough punches. I don't think he threw enough punches against Rosario either, Luke, although he happened to get the knockout, so it didn't matter. Jermel's a little bit more selective in looking to to get you out of there, the one-punch way where Jermel walks you down, clubs at you, and gets you down. Personality-wise, look, Luke, they both very much stare away from the idea of being labeled emotional or hotheads, but, you know, here's the deal. The proof is in the pudding. They're very emotional. They're hotheads, and it's marketable, I believe. I think it makes them better fighters. I think they're incredible sound bites. And even at times, as you saw in that All Access, can push them at odds with one another, which is an incredible sort of piece of psychology to watch from the outside looking in. I think Jermel's a little bit more... Uh, easy to offend and looking to to gain his revenge constantly. And Luke, I think that's one of their most redeeming characteristics, that outspoken ability that they carry with them in the ring that's like, uh, you know, I'm a lion. I'm coming for you. I'm going to eat you up. It has made both of them very uh, hungry and, and worthy finishers in their knockout specialists. Really, Luke, look, let's be honest. Two absolutely great talents that, you know, we want to find out how, how great they really are. And I think both are at this point in their career where they're going after just that, right? They've, they've made some money now. They, they're starting to get the recognition. They're going after the defining fights to find out, you know, uh, what their potential and their ceiling actually is. Fair enough. All right, so that's the first of the three main events this weekend, the second of which will be on Friday on Bellator. On, set, on excuse me, Friday night, where Juliana Velasquez will take on Denise Kielholtz for the women's uh, flyweight title. Interesting enough, when Bellator had a kickboxing division, Kielholtz was the Bellator kickboxing women's flyweight champion. She obviously has a decorated background in judo, but her real big background, of course, is in kickboxing. The card itself is not great, but the main event, I will give it credit. The main event, I think, actually is pretty good. You just saw Velazquez give Elema Le McFarlane the business, BC, absolutely demolishing her, although I think it went the distance, but still, she like crushed her face had her bleeding everywhere 
This is a great one, I think. Kilholtz is not nearly as good in MMA as she is in the, uh, some of the other sports. Obviously, kickboxing would be the one where she had the most amount of success. But she's intriguing to me, BC, because she can match some of the skills Velasquez has on the feet. And on the ground with the judo, she's got a little bit of a... Um, I'm not going to say gimmicky game. That's not true. But it's a little bit... It's, it's good, but it's a little bit limited. It can't do all the things that it's supposed to, but the things that it does do, it does well. So she's tricky to me, BC. How do you size, or, or actually, same question. Dominant storyline for you here, looking at Velasquez and Kielholz. Look, I think we need to know more about Velasquez because she was a fighter who we knew the name, you know, we saw her on co-main events or on, or on the main cards of Bellator. It really wasn't until that title fight against Alima McFarlane we were like, okay, let's find out what we have here. Turns out, as you mentioned, over five rounds, she was the dominant destructive force. She was, she was efficient. She had every she threw everything with power, and she basically just clubbed a very seasoned champion in McFarlane all around the cage and had an answer for everything. Okay, so now the reign begins, Luke. Is is Velasquez legitimately one of the pound for pound best females in the game today uh that's what uh, the first title defense is all about and you certainly uh nailed it when you said look Kielholtz is a lot better than than maybe her name value or her reputation you know brings in if you're not following this day to day a very accomplished striker on the feet I think we can see a very exciting matchup but Luke I want to see how Velasquez carries herself now as the champion she's got a potential here to really be the face of not just this division, but of, of really of women's MMA and Bellator, to be really honest. And, I mean, you've got Chris Cyborg there, obviously, but uh, you got somebody who's... Here's what Bellator's done a great job. From Nemkov to, you know, across the board, we just saw Moldowski. Names that maybe a year ago weren't on your radar, but are coming through solid now that they're given big opportunities. I want to see if Velasquez can really become that and a future, you know, foundational player for Bellator. First title defense will be a will be a big zoom into that because if she finds out that the skill level is vastly different, Luke, she's gonna have to finish Kielholtz. And if she does so impressively, you could see the beginning of a, of a special title reign here. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I would say. First is that if Kielholtz wins, this is good for potentially taking some fights back to Europe when that opens up. I don't know exactly how that's going to go, but you would imagine at some point, maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe the year after that. I don't know, but we are gonna get back to European shows on a relatively routine basis it seems and so um, Kielholtz winning might be good for that for whatever that's worth. Bellator has done a pretty good job of putting an inroads into the UK and Ireland and and obviously I think Kielholtz is Dutch if memory serves but still you know just having people on that side of the pond uh, is good for business number one. Number two though I think the thing you picked up on is the right one. Dude Velasquez is good. She's really good. I, I don't know if she's going to win this Saturday. I tend to think she probably will but we'll have to see what happens but you know if she's as good as we think she is BC Bellator could do something with her about making not just her more popular, but you're right, like getting behind her as a face of the brand or at least a face of part of the brand, parts of the brand that they want to shop, whether it's uh, the Brazilian side or whether you know whatever that may be. Velasquez has the potential to go on a bit of a run here, and the longer you remain champion, the longer you can make a case for yourself as someone that should be paid attention to. It's how Douglas Lima got as far as he did, despite being you know relatively anonymous in other ways. Um, the other thing I'd say, too, is like, dude, Velasquez, I, you know, I don't think she's as good as Valentina Shevchenko, but she's very good. Um, if you care about, like, one of the criticisms, I think, that comes from fans about Bellator's women's divisions is that they're not very filled out. Actually, in fairness, that's the same one they make about the women's divisions in the UFC, too, that you got a lot of names on there that when the push comes to shove, they don't really show up or they're not all that great. And partly that's an issue about women's MMA generally that no promoter can escape from. 
Um, but here you have a case of Kielholtz, while limited, very talented in that limit. And in the case of Velasquez, I think you're right, BC. What we've seen has been very good. Finding offense everywhere, patient, calm, good finisher when she needs to be, deadly puncher. Uh, in fact, Bellator put out a video on their YouTube channel being like, I thought it was smart for them to do this. Here's Juliana's rise to champion. And they showed all her Bellator fights. And you can see her development and what she had to do to get there. It was actually really smart. Um, but I think there's still a lot of improvement for her to, to make. I think actually through this run, she can reach another level. So, you know, this is the building block to something bigger, no matter who wins. But it's an important foundational one, especially BC, especially if Velasquez can look good. Absolutely. And look, Kielholtz has won four in a row all by stoppage. So she's rising at the right time. And, you know, you, you noticed that you mentioned the kickboxing success, you know, looking at her record, she's 18 and two overall in kickboxing uh, throughout her career. So very accomplished there. But, you know, she had a couple early losses when, when moving over to MMA and specifically to Bellator, but she's really starting to find a nice groove. So it's a good looking main event to find out really what we have in the champion here or whether we're going to see a division that, that this this belt can bounce around in because you know Alima Lay McFarlane is looking to get back, Luke, and eventually that could be a heck of a rematch if she works her way back up to the top and Velasquez is still standing there with the belt. No doubt about it. So that should be a fun main event on Friday night. And then certainly last but definitely not least, man, Islam Makachev taking on Tiago Moises. This will be the main event for the UFC show on Saturday, BC. This is an interesting one. Islam started out a little bit bumpy in his career, UFC career where he got flatlined by Adriano Martins. But since then, man, it's been basically impeccable. Not just that. You can tell. Like, for me, the big wake-up call with him when I knew that, like, the Martins fight was not an accident, but that's just not the same fighter anymore, was maybe the Armin Saryukian fight where he just looked absolutely dominant. They don't want to fight this guy in this division at all. Tiago Moises quietly putting together a nice three-fight win streak, I think the last of which was over Alexander Hernandez. He has done well for himself, just 26 years old, BC. You got a Russian versus a Brazilian, tends to produce pretty good action. Your top storyline when thinking about this. Really, my top storyline for this card is Misha Tate, Luke. Am I wrong in that regard? No, you're not. If you want to, make that claim. I mean, look, I, I, I'm very interested in this main event, first of all. Lightweight is the best division in the sport. You got Islam Magachev who won seven in a row. To your point, a little bit of a slow starter and making the transition, you know, that, that happens from the Smash Factory into the actual octagon. But, I mean, that victory over Drew Dober in March, Luke, that, that third-round submission, it was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's freaking legit. We've got a player on our hands. So, yes, I'm looking forward to him in a vain event opportunity to, to have that potential to – to bang the drum hard and say, yeah, lightweight is your focus and I'm next in this division. But look, the storyline's Misha Tate, Luke. It's the five-year retirement. It's the big name. She's come back in just such incredible shape. It's very good matchmaking to put her in there with a Marianne Renault who's tough, but in her early 40s and looking to retire on this fight. So in some cases, Luke, it, it gives Misha that potential, you know, let's, let's, let's shake off the rust. Let's find out what we have here. Luke, you and I both know Misha's coming back uh, in a great time for her personally after after being a mom a couple times over and doing the whole one championship executive gig. Cleared her mind. She's still very young, Luke. What is she, 33, is it, Luke? 33, 34. So she's still very young, but, but it's a short 34. It's a short path to the top at 135. Really, let's be honest, ever since Amanda first won that belt and just started running people out of there, like Misha, like Ronda, it became Amanda and everybody else in this division. Misha, even with a 
<laughs> even with a three quarters as good as your expectations performance here against Renault, could end up in a friggin' title fight with with with, uh, with Amanda. Now, now I have no idea, Luke, at 34 and this far away from the game, if she can do any better than she did when she was champion and Amanda broke her nose and submitted her and just absolutely dominated her. That's not really the story, though. To me, the story is an already pioneering Hall of Fame celebrity name making a big comeback at the time when the division can really use it. And even in general, Luke, women's MMA and UFC outside of strawweight can really use it. I've been banging this drum alone, trying to get you fired up to the idea of Misha Tate Holly Holm 2, you know, in the near future, Luke, okay? That's a that's a fight right there, bro. All right, that's still a marketable, valuable fight. So however it plays out, to me, Misha coming back, looking in this good a shape, in this situation is the storyline for this card and maybe could have and should have been the main event. Yeah, I think they're trying to see what they have first before they put Misha back in that slot, given the time off and given the fact that I think it's a tough fight that she has in front of her but I think you're right when you when you talk about what the most important let's say box office attraction and also to your point as well potential title shot implications the return of Misha Tate is impossible to ignore still it would be doing a disservice to Islam Makachev if we didn't at least acknowledge where he's been at this point since losing to Adriano Martins he had the two decision wins over Wade and Lentz and he KO'd Gleason Tebow he beat he submitted Cajun Johnson, he had that incredible fight with Armin Saryuki, and then he defeated Davi Hamos, and then Drew Dober, he just kind of ran over. I'm told he's having trouble securing fights. Guys don't want to say yes to him. To me, BC, when I think about like what might be possible here, I don't think title shot really is, is the operative thing that stands out, but I'll say this. Where does Islam Makachev stand in this division, BC? He stands at 9. Now, winning this one doesn't get him any closer. Thiago Moises is sitting at 14, for crying out loud. But above him is Dan Hooker, McGregor, Rafael uh, Dos Anjos, Ferguson Chandler, Dariush, Gaethje, and Poirier. Why do I bring this up? No matter who Islam fights next, assuming he fights somebody in his peer group, it's going to be a majorly, majorly consequential fight. He's going to fight somebody with a big name, and he probably will do quite well. So the, the Tiago Moises fight, BC, is about setting up Islam Makachev's entry into the elite end of the 155 talent pool. That's what that's what it looks like to me. Agree or disagree? I agree. I agree with you fully. He has looked so good in this win streak to, to, and has looked better almost with each performance. Luke, do you think with Habib Nurmagomedov retiring right at the point where he helped make that region of the world uh, a, a, a monster player in MMA, now anyone that comes out with the Abe Lincoln beard and the even half-hearted connection to uh, Habib and his late father's, you know, camp and, and style is going to get that sort of rub off of that. Do you think in a world in which Habib's no longer here, Islam is the next one? Then the next one that all all people will put the powers behind and say, you know, this is the new guy from the Smash Factory that's taken over? I mean, you got a few names to choose from, Luke. And obviously, Zabit, uh, with his health status, we're not sure where that's going. But Islam's starting to look like the guy in that category in my eyes, Luke. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I would say that, um, I mean, the thing is he's taking over in the same, excuse me, the same division that Habib was in. But to me, there's some differences between Habib's grappling and, and Makachev's. I don't think Makachev is quite the dominant grappler that Habib is, which is fine. I mean, that's not, he's still quite dominant, just not as on that level. Also, like, 
you know, just that whole region is opening up. So, like, at welterweight, you've got Shavkat Rachmanov uh, from Azerbaijan, Rafael Fazayev. Um, yeah, I know he beat him, but it was fight of the night when they fought. And I actually think this guy's got huge upside in Armin Saryukian. So, like, yeah, maybe, like, maybe you could say that uh, Makachev was handed the baton from Habib. But in the sense of what that world has to offer, maybe Makachev wins the belt, maybe he doesn't. He certainly seems like somebody you should take seriously in that regard. But I tend to think that like the next big thing out of there is going to be as big as Habib. Uh, Makachev doesn't give me that vibe just yet. I guess. Is but what I would you, say. but but you would agree though that him getting the main event slot here is very strategic in a fight a fight oh, against yeah. someone ranked less than him. Oh, he's good. He's very very good. I'm telling you, man. If he goes in there and beats Thiago Moises the way I think he's gonna, you know, UFC is going to be ha- leaning on people hard to take fights with him because um, <laughs> he's coming. He's coming like a freight train at the top end of that division. So we're going to see. But um, but some good fights this weekend. Good, good main events in all three of them. And to your point, an even great co-main event on the UFC side of things as well. All right. So now we go to some UFC 266 fight announcements, BC. Let me just read them out to you as we have them. Volkanovski Ortega coming off of the Ultimate Fighter is going to be on that card. Um, let's see. You're going to get Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo. You're going to get... Uh, Curtis Blades taking on Rosenstrike. You're going to get Marab Davalashvili taking on uh, Marlon Moraes, I think. And then Roxanne Modafferi taking on, I'm not sure who. Okay, but the other part about it is, A, Valentina Shevchenko is going to face Lauren Murphy, so two title fights on there. But B, maybe this is the biggest fight on there <laughs> for some people. Nick Diaz is taking on Robbie Lawler. This will be the second time the UFC does a non-title, non-main event five-round fight which MMA Fighting had confirmed following an initial report from Yahoo Sports. Okay, BC, let's break it all down. You've got the two title fights. You've got the return of Nick Diaz. Tell me what you make of all of this. Uh, just real quick, so you don't get dead wrong, Tatiana Suarez it looks like coming back against Roxanne Modafari, which will be oh, yes. Suarez's flyweight debut. So yes. uh, that's a very interesting fight for the future, uh, as as well as, you know, Zalvashili against uh, Marais, interesting there. But look, this is a very good card, Luke, and it's come together with sort of spare parts, but it's going to be a pay-per-view. It's going to be at T-Mobile in Las Vegas. It's going to be a big deal. Uh, would you say the most intriguing fight, I mean, the best fight is Ortega Volkanovsky by far, but would you say the most intriguing fight has become Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler? I mean, you just got to see what the heck Nick has left after all these years. It's perfect freaking matchmaking from the standpoint of, Let's throw two washity guys potentially in there and find out who's got the most left. Then you got the 17 years in the making storyline. Look, this is pretty damn sexy. Let's be honest here. It's a great card <laughs> for all the reasons that we already mentioned. Two title fights plus the other ones we have up there. I got to tell you, don't get me wrong. Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler 2 is absolutely the fight to make. I love it. I think it's great. I can't wait to see it. I would just slightly put myself a little bit different than the overall wave of enthusiasm for that particular fight. Slightly different. Not majorly different. Slightly different. I tend to think that Lawler is definitely uh, feeling it at this stage of his career. I think he's, what, 38 almost? Something like that. Nick Diaz has obviously had a considerable amount of time off, so he's not had that damage. But, you know, the time off itself doesn't serve you necessarily for your interests. Um I have much more managed expectations about what the return of Nick Diaz means. He might end up getting title shots because he's Nick Diaz, but I'm skeptical that he's going to look like the guy who went out there and beat up BJ Penn the way that he did. I don't think that that's all that likely. Um, So 
I will say I love the fight. I love the matchup. I remember that when the first one happened and what a surprise it was, getting dropped face first with a jab the whole nine yards. This is phenomenal. I love the five-round thing that has nothing to do with being a main event or a title. All that's great. I just have slightly more managed expectations about what, what really is possible with Nick at this stage than yeah, I see you, the general enthusiasm on social media. I mean, you mentioned, you know, title shots. Like, damn, no, no. I don't, you know, I don't think he's going through there. But let's with the idea that it could be a short – it's always a short shelf life with the Diaz. Yeah, they could just be mercurial and walk off in the other direction and never fight again. Um, it is it is perfect matchmaking for the chance of if Nick still has it, this is a fight he can get by, and yet it's still going to draw a lot of attention for all the reasons you said. But, Luke, if he wins it, and if he wins it as good-looking as when his brother came back from a three-year absence, and who did he fight? Was it Pettis? Mm-hmm. Did Nate, Nate Diaz? And Nate looks so good that we're like, Oh shit! What like what are we doing next? Are we doing Masvidal? Are we doing Connor? Are we doing title shot? I mean, if Nick Diaz comes in there and just looks great, putting it on Robbie, are they going right to Masvidal? I mean, what what kind of big fight is next? If if he looks, this is a tryout. Look, this is a tryout to see what this guy's got left. Where is he going with it? Yes, I think that's the right way to put it. We don't know what you have left. There could be a lot. There could be not so much. Let's just kind of see. I don't know that Robbie Lawler is necessarily the best barometer for that at this stage, but it's a pretty good one. And then given the history between these two and the way in which they compete, it's hard to think of a much better choice, frankly, than what you could put together with that. So don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. I think it's intriguing. But when you said the word intriguing, to me, I would say Diaz Lawler 2 is mysterious because I just don't really know what you're going to get. And anyone who says you, that they know, I don't think is telling the truth. But when I think about intriguing, I think about what's possible and what it might mean and how difficult and strange and unique it could be. I go a little bit more towards Suarez, Motiferi, or even maybe the main event, Volkanovsky, Ortega. But that's just a personal preference. I'm not asking anyone to necessarily agree with that. Okay, but you didn't answer my question, Luke. Which was? If, he, if, if Nick comes out there and looks fantastic, please tell me they're not like lining him up to fight Kamara, right? Like he's going the oh, BMF they might. lane. Oh, they might. And you think or the dude, Kamara already lane. called out Nate, didn't he? I mean, dude, they, like, these guys will absolutely take that fight. Why, if you're Kamaru, why would you not take that fight? You, that you could win that with your eyes closed and get huge amounts of popularity off of it. I mean, it'd be the smartest call he could make given the considerations. I, w- I want him to go the BMF lane. Okay, that's that's, that's uh, hey, where he's at. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I think that's fair. But I, you know what? What's gonna happen? I mean, I don't know. By the way, I got to say, that's a hell of a stacked card. Two title fights. You got the crazy Diaz-Lawler fight, which basically will act as like an informal title fight, given the fact that it's five rounds. Then you've got a Jessica Andrade on there, women's flyweight fight, if I'm not mistaken. You got Curtis Blades having to like make sure that he can remain a relevant heavyweight contender. Marab Davalashvili has the best motor I've ever seen in MMA, at least currently. And then the return of Tatiana Suarez. Bro, that card is fucking stacked really yeah stacked. it's 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 a hardcore stack card like it's got the two titles and and nick diaz to get it in the casuals door but it's a hardcore fan jacked up card no okay. doubt i can't wait best uh, uh, not counting the title fights and then obviously diaz lawler best fight on that card that i named so the other choices would be andrage cynthia calvijo blades rosenstrike devalishvili morais and then motiferi suarez I, for my fandom, it's 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 Suarez. I gotta see Luke. It's been so long. She's announced she's moving up to flyweight. 
It's a short path to the top at flyweight. I got to see what she has. Let's let's find out right now because when she's healthy, she's a special wrestler and, and an aggressive grinding talent, Luke. A lot of question marks. Um, were you surprised that without really coming back and testing herself due to the injuries, she's going right to flyweight? I would say yes, but it's a favorable matchup with Motifari. That's why. Oh, for I sure. Think. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, I, I respect Roxanne. I think what she's done in this game is incredible. She's reinvented herself and grown so many different times. She was relevant in an era of MMA that most fans now, including ones that are OG, weren't even paying attention in. She lived in Japan for a long time. Um, so I have a lot of respect for Roxanne. But it's a bad matchup for her if Suarez, if, if she's ready to go, um, or excuse me, if she's not ready to go, it's a bad matchup. Well, excuse me, if she's ready to go, it's a bad matchup for her. I'm just saying it's a it's a good way for Suarez to dip her toe into the pool, so to speak. Yeah. Do you have an answer, Luke? Do you want are you more intrigued on any of them? Probably Motifari Suarez. Um, although I gotta tell you, man, Marlon Marais with his back up against the wall. Yes. Jesus yes. Christ. And he's got this guy, you know, Marab is not the most technically sophisticated guy. But when you've got his motor, it's overwhelming. That's a very, very consequential fight for Marlon's career, if you ask me. Absolutely, Luke. Uh, no question about it. And um, I found and I Blades, too. Blades Rosenstrike is a tough fight, too, man. Like, oh, all those fights are good. I was going to say, you no, know, you're right on all that. I was going to say, do you give um, Lauren Murphy the same non andrage chance you've given every other Shevchenko title contender since she's won the belt? Yeah, I like Lauren Murphy a lot. I think, um, I think she's smart. I think she works incredibly hard. I mean, they, you know, all, all these fighters work incredibly hard. But you know, she's really earned this opportunity. It would be incredibly disparaging if it was like, oh, she's got no chance. It's MMA. Everyone's got a chance. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to favor the champion, Valentina Shevchenko. But I have a lot of respect for you know these people who are like who've been in the trenches and then they were up and then they were down and up and down and tough fights and, and you know, split decision losses and blah, blah, blah. But then they finally just right the ship and then they, they get into a groove and they earn a big opportunity. You know, I don't like to be the guy who reigns on that parade by saying, well, you know, you earn the opportunity, but it's a tough, it's a tough hill to climb. I'll just say, may the best person win. And certainly I'm not, you know, insane. I think Shevchenko deserves to be favored, but I have a lot of respect for Lauren Murphy and I have a lot of respect for her career. That's it. Um, you know, as we, we talk about Shevchenko Nunes every time either one fights and, you know, what's next for them? Well, you're not going to get another big fight until they fight each other. You think the more that we wait to build to this trilogy, that it's advantageous to Shevchenko, who seems to be aging just a little bit better than Nunes? Nunes has maintained her dominance. Shevchenko seems to be getting better. Now, some of that is moving down in weight. And finding out that she's a, you know, she doesn't have to be a counter striker only like she was at 135. She can be an absolute force. I feel like the more we push this out, Luke, this is going to favor Valentina. I've not thought about that too much, but you might be right. I think, she, I think, I think she might be older too. I think I, I have to double check that, but you're right. I do think that Valentina is staying a little bit more composed year over year whereas you saw like Duran to me really take it to her where Nunez was able to win uh because she's Nunez but she had to dig incredibly deep into her bag of tricks and skills so 
That's interesting. I haven't yeah. thought much about that, but it's 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 a it's a it's, a, it's, it's certainly something to think about. Like what it might mean the longer this gets delayed. Shevchenko technically is two months older than Amanda. I would have guessed it was a couple of years older for Nunes, but you know that's how it works, Luke. There you have it. Uh, okay, so those are the announcements from UFC 266, which will be September 25th. All right, let's go to this Colby Covington thing, BC. I'm not even sure what to say about it, but he wants a fight with Dustin Poirier. Um, I don't know if I can read all of this because some of it is just terribly unfair. But basically what he says is, uh, I thought it showed the um, charitable, nice guy, the true character of Dustin, the doofus Soirier. I can't believe he thinks that's a good insult, but okay. He's out there struggling. He's chasing. Yeah, he's out there strutting in front of Connor's face. Obviously, it was a fluke, man. Connor broke his leg. It was a fluke ending. It wasn't a knockout. It wasn't a clear-cut decision. It wasn't a sub. And the guy's out there strutting in front of the guy's face at a downfall when the guy made his career and did everything for Dustin to give him the big fight. Blah, 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 blah. He's a dirtbag, and so is his whole camp. Uh, obviously, um, you know, his wife is a prop, he says. He only uses her for a prop because he's a piece of S person who wants to act like a nice guy, a family man, a father, and a good husband. Um, it's not my fault, he says. Dustin was saying to the media, oh, it's on site when I see Colby, but I've seen the guy 40 or 50 times since he said it's on site. So who's the man of their word? Who's not a man of their word? Anyway, he wants to fight him. He says he's not a draw. He's not going to sell pay-per-views. By the way, I think that's Dustin Poirier might be able to start selling. After two fights with Connor in a year, well, I think he's going to start selling. I was going to save that talk till we get into the pay-per-view numbers shortly, Luke, but that's a very good discussion to, ha- to yeah, have. So uh, his- but here's, your, here's your quick answer, all right? Yeah. Hey, Colby, you want to fight Dustin Poirier? You got two options, bro. Cut to 155 and get in line or go beat Usman, win the welterweight championship, and then call out Dustin Poirier. Short of that, bro, this is just a bunch of annoying noise. And that's the, that's the, that's the, that's it. That's it at the end of the day, okay? You know, I don't I we we allowed Connor to disparage this man Dustin Poirier a lot in the name of, well, it's fighting at the end of the day, and it is. But Colby's just shooting his shot from the peanut gallery, Luke. He's not in position to fight this man. It would make absolutely no sense. What the heck does he bring to the table for Poirier? Hey, Poirier, it's time to figure out your true destiny, which is winning or having a shot to win that full undisputed lightweight championship. Why are we even putting up pictures of Colby? Next topic, Luke. I'll just say this, too. Let's get into this here real quickly about Dustin Poirier. First of all, it's like, He's nobody, but you want to fight him? No, you're calling him out because you know he's got a lot of uh, gains he's made in visibility and popularity by virtue of fighting Connor and beating him technically twice in the course of a count in six, seven months. In seven months, he's beaten the guy twice. Now, again, one of those is a little bit, uh, uh, you know, injury related or very injury related, but still. So the pay-per-view numbers came out, and they had it at 1.3 domestic, 500,000 or so overseas. The 1.3 domestic is the bigger number to me, although if you add 1.8 together, or you put the two numbers to figure you get 1.8, then you get, I think, second or third highest all time. But you know the way that was usually measured, just so folks are clear, back in the aughts and then before that, international pay-per-view did not count towards the overall count of pay-per-view. I guess that's changed now because the number is much more significant than it used to be. Um, but 1.3 domestic, 1.8 overall BC, uh, back of the envelope math from John Nash. So they probably made somewhere around, around a hundred million for that event alone. Granted, Connor is doing the overwhelming bulk of that work. Let's be real about it. But I do think it is fair to say that Dustin Poirier's star power 
has been launched into the stratosphere since January. True or false? Absolutely. The fact that he won both of these McGregor fights, the fact that he won over the public by how he carried himself, the fact that, uh, look, you get the rub being with Connor. It's what you do with it, right? I mean, unfortunately, Nate Diaz sat out for three years after getting that two-fight rub. Habib used it. He became a, a, a legitimate pay-per-view draw on his own. Um, I wonder here, Luke, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, as Floyd says. So that proof will be when Dustin headlines against Charles Oliveira, who obviously exciting, great fighter, not marketable on a, on a household level across the board to casual fans. This will be the judge of that. But I, I hadn't known that it was uh, when I first saw that headline that it was throwing in the international views. That does skew it. It would be the second biggest of all time total at 1.8, meaning that the biggest is UFC 229, Connor and Habib, what, right around 2.4 million. And then I think the second one before that coming in was Nate versus Connor 2, which was 1.6 million. But even at 1.3 domestically, Luke, that's that we're in an era where pay-per-views broke. Look, Luke, be honest with me. You can argue that Mayweather Pacquiao broke the pay-per-view business, right? People waited so long to get there. They doubled the price up to 100 bucks. There were so many people that just, even though that was a technical, interesting fight if you're a hardcore boxing fan, that did not ring the bell for casual fans. Ever since then, we've seen pay-per-view numbers go down except for these giant ones that lift everything out of the water like a Mayweather-McGregor or, or, you know, or, or Habib versus McGregor. 1.3 these days is, that's freaking legit, Luke. So I don't necessarily, now look, that's all before the how Saturday played out. So again, there's certainly debates to be had on the future of McGregor's brand and did he did the craziness only strengthen it moving forward in a Mike Tyson way or do, or will people turn away and not buy it? You know, whatever. You can have that. But 1.3 domestically, pretty damn strong in this era. Luke. No question about it. For a, for a third fight between guys, that, that's that's legit. Dude, 1.318, if you're making 100 mil, because remember, they, they, they made a killing on the gate at T-Mobile. Dude, they're fucking printing money. I mean, there is no way right, to look at that Let me ask you this, Luke Nash. Let me ask you this, uh Scott Hall, Luke, John Nash. Um, what what is what does Connor go home with here? What does he go home? I'm not asking you on the books or off. What does he go home with from this fight? I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Forty million, fifty million, Luke. Seems a little on the high end. I'd say probably closer to twenty or so, something like that. Okay. Okay. Give or take, but that you know, I I don't know. The, I'm being very clear. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he would be making now. Um, but you know, probably more than he would be in 2016, but, uh, hard to say, but I gotta say, you know, all that money he got from whiskey, that's where he really went home with that. That that's the big money. He got stupid money from that. So, um, we'll see how that goes in the future. I, uh, I'm, right. I'm excited for Dustin Luke that, you know, title or not moving forward, he is going to have the chance to headline pay-per-views against marketable opponents. I mean, you know, here's what we're not talking about. How about Dustin against a Diaz brother at lightweight? Mm -hmm. Would you be down for something like that? They, we almost had that. We almost had Dustin Poirier versus Nate, if you'll recall, and then it fell apart at the last minute. But I dude. hope he gets these cash in opportunities. You know, Dustin yeah. at welterweight against Jorge Masvidal for a BMF or something. Like, I'm saying, moving forward, well, title or not. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Colby's the enemy. Hey, Luke, I wanted to get your thoughts. I don't see it in our rundown. Did you see uh, Habib Nurmagomedov gave an interview with with a a neck bearded Brett Okamoto? I did. I did see it, yeah. All right, here's what Nurmagomedov said about Connor. 
Money and fame show who you are. All the time we hear that money and fame change people. No, when money and fame come, these two things show who you are. And what has McGregor done? He punched an old guy. You guys can watch everything he did and understand. It's just like Dustin said. This guy is a bag of shit. I saw a lot of tweets try to support Connor. How are you going to support this guy? When kids, young generation, watch him and watch the sport, if you want to promote your fight, promote. But if the MMA community is going to support bad people, this sport is going to go in a bad way. Luke Habib went on to say that without the broken leg, he believes Connor could fight at the same level that he did in the last two Poirier fights. But he says with the broken leg, Connor will never be the same. I don't, Connor does not have a good, he's got a good age right now, but what happened with his mind and his leg, this guy is finished. He's good for the promotion, but this guy is finished. Do you see any lies in there, Luke? Lies, I don't know. Some things I disagree with. I mean, he might be finished. I mean, I, I had presented a scenario where he could use the opportunity to rebuild through the injury to really, you know, get back to, uh, as a reset moment is the way I presented it. But it could be the other way too, right? Just as easily which is that an injury this traumatic um, could derail you permanently. Now, most of the time when we've seen these, they've been a little bit older, like a Tyron Spong or an Anderson or a Chris Weidman, and they were, I mean, we haven't seen Chris, but Anderson wasn't exactly the same, but it's hard to parse that because, you know, was it the USADA thing that was later on in his career? Was it just the fact that he was fucking old? Like, I mean, it was hard to know. So, so I don't know what to make of that. Connor is relatively young for someone who has had an injury like this, but I like, I think that like, do I and does everyone else out there need to take seriously the possibility that um, he can't recover from this injury in the way that you might imagine that he could come back and you know maybe win a fight, but not be what he was, I don't know before whatever before means to you at this point. Yeah, I think you need to take that seriously. Not that you have to consider that to be the most likely outcome, but you have to. I, I think you have to at least consider it to be plausible. The only thing I really take uh, exception to. Is like, you know, it was kind of funny when Ronda Rousey was tweeting Connor or tweeting about him, being like, wow, you know, you're promoting the next fight. I wouldn't have the mind to do that. Everyone should be grateful to you. That was so like a subtweet to everyone she's still fucking mad at. And she was just using Connor as like an example of uh, a way to make her point about all the people she's bitter at without really realizing that you're magnifying behavior that kind of sucks. But in defense of Connor, what I would say is, it's like, dude, here's what Habib just totally gets wrong. Dude, most people in this sport are bags of shit. Most people, from wow. media to fighters to promoters, wow. up and down. Dude, they're bad fucking people. Dude, this Look, is it not... Look, I, I, Hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Let me make this point. I'll put, put you back to you. Dude, let me be very clear about this. This is not a sport that wants to be cleaned up. It's not a sport that wants regulation. It's not a sport that wants any kind of informed judgment being made about it, especially by outsiders. It wants to have what it has. It wants to do things not by the book. It wants to make sure you don't turn over the rock and see the worms, and anyone who tries gets bounced from it. That's just the way that it goes. So like, oh, we can't root for bad people. Maybe Connor is, maybe he isn't, but I got news for you. If he is bad, he has a lot of company. Wow, look, it's been a while since you pulled out the MMA bag and reached in and grabbed the dead skunk and held it up and were like, all y'all heroes are dirt bags. You know, you haven't done that in a while. You can't trust anybody in this game. Yo, Luke, one day I'm going to turn on you. I'm going to turn on you like like Anakin on Obi-Wan style, okay, bro? And there won't be a battle of Kashyyyk where you have the higher ground. You may be high during that battle, but you won't have the higher ground, bro. 
Don't trust mm. DTA, bitch. Don't trust anybody. Hey, Luke, if you were behind Connor's team here from a PR standpoint, looking to get the most bang long term from the buck, how would you strategically frame the narrative when he comes back? Because he's going to have to come back and beat somebody. Okay, that it's going to be a rehab. He's going to have. He's not going to come back and fight Poirier for the lightweight title. He's got to come back and beat somebody first. There's a lot of different reasoning and matchmaking that you can do i mean look we all are hoping it's a tony ferguson coming back or uh max holloway at 55 or uh you know rda dude it could be mike perry for all we know okay like we you know you have no idea but what should the damn narrative be from team mcgregor given all the the fact that he's pretty much become a heel you know based on last weekend like when he comes back how should his team manage that how should they look like what character should he play? Is it you know what I mean? Oh. Like he was he was the gentlemanly uh dad slash whiskey sponsor against Cowboy and against Poirier the first time, right? Then he just became like rabid maniac in this Tony Montana in this last fight. Do you double down? Do you, do you stay in that lane? What do you do? I think, dude, here's this is the reality about all of us. It doesn't I don't know that you could craft something. I mean, I guess he could, because he's got the talent to do that, but to me, it's like, dude, you just need to be honest with yourself. Like, that was the way in which he got to where he got. Now, he had these big, big dreams, but uh, and he hadn't achieved many of them at that point, but he had absolute, complete, and total belief that he was going to. And so it's like, dude, whatever you believe, that's what you should be saying, what you should be living, and how you should be feeling. And that means being honest with whatever it is. Like, dude, part of me feels like deep down. I mean, I, I said this on the post-fight show on this channel, BC, uh, which is like, dude, this fucking guy already won, man. You're going to be a billionaire if you keep going by the time you're 40 or whatever, whatever the age is. I mean, so he's saying before that. But, you know, that whiskey sale, dude, that was like real generationally changing money for him and his family. Like, you know, you had these incredible wins already and selling out Madison Square Garden and then you've taken time off. Dude, you don't... There's a part of me, I don't know if this is true, BC, but there's a part of me that wonders, I don't think he wants this shit anymore. And I don't think he knows that he wants it, but there's a part of him deep down inside because, dude, you beat the fucking game. You won. There's nothing else for you. And if you try to go back for seconds in a situation like that, maybe some other guys can do it, like a Floyd or whatever. But if you try to go so back for seconds in a scenario like that, you're going to get fucking hurt. He got hurt, you know? So, like, you're asking me what he should come back as. Fuck if I know, dude. All what I know is... You need to come back if and only if you really, 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 really want it. And if you do, let it just breathe and however it's going to breathe. And be sincere is what you're saying and not, not yeah. an act. So it's interesting that you frame it as like he, he doesn't want to do this anymore, but he doesn't know. He hasn't come to terms with that. I think it's similar to that, but in another lane. If I can play psychologist, I think, Luke, he's not coming to terms with the fact that all this time off has meant he hasn't evolved at the same level of the guys around him. He's like that dude who's like, oh, I already beat, I beat up Poirier in high school, so I'm going to be able to beat him up the rest of my life. Well, guess what? Now it's, you know, 20 years after high school and you're not in the same shape anymore and Poirier's a stud. I think Connor has not come to terms with the fact, Luke, that even by trying everything he can in a full training camp with no excuses, he still can't be the same fighter he used to be and he doesn't know how to deal with that. And I think that's when this this sort of parody act came out of him on the build to this third fight. And then what we saw in the cage Saturday, look, I, I think he's he's in part 
turning the audience into marks. I think it was like his only move was desperation. This is not over. Because if he didn't do that, Luke, if he didn't sit down and call out Poirier and his wife, none of us are talking about a fourth fight. None of us are. We're like, dude, we learned everything we needed to see. We're only talking about the potential of a fourth fight outside of the financial implications because Connor's like, no, this shit ain't over. I'm, I'm going to kill you. Like, so the, I think part of that, I think that was calculated overall. But Luke, I don't think he's doing a good job coming to terms with that. He's not that same guy anymore. And that's yeah. a hard pill to swallow, Luke. Yeah, well, I mean, what he was, you know, like uh, I've seen fighters accept their new, their new state, like, and they find a way to hit that groove for whatever it's worth. Like Rich Franklin realized, okay, I'm not the man at 185 anymore, but you know what I am? I'm pretty fucking good. And between 185 and 205, all right, I won't be the man, but I'll beat some good fighters and I'll get my hand raised in some important contests. And he was totally okay with that, like. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. I don't judge Connor if he. Let's assume for the sake of argument, BC, that in his heart, I'm totally right that like he doesn't want it like this anymore, and he hasn't come to terms with it, dude. If that's if that's true, and it may not be, but let's say that it is. I don't judge him for it at all. At all, everybody is going to want things differently and in different times of their life and in different ways. And if that's if if that's the place he's in, okay. Like what he did was spectacular, and the money he made. Shit, man, if I had 10, if I had, dude, if you had 10% of Connor's money, I'd be balling. I'd be balling out. And that's 10 fucking percent of it. So, like, you know, for me, man, I, I, people should only do in life what they really want to do. And that can be hard to figure out sometimes. I guess we're going to see what Connor really wants, but that you're asking me like what I want from him next time. Just yeah. be honest with who you are. And if that's somebody who really wants to come back out there and beat Dustin Poirier's ass, well, then get on out there and do it. But if it's not, man, call it a fucking day, whatever, whatever way it call is. It a day. Know? Too much money to be made, too much uh, ego in play. But Luke, the rest of his career, he's going to have to fight uh, dangerous and desperate to, to keep up with these guys. It's going to be a fun ride for as long as it lasts, Luke. I mean, yeah, I'm dude, think about this. Right Islam Makachev is ranked, what, outside or barely inside the top 10? Like, dude, anywhere you go in this division, it's a fucking hammer sitting in front of you. You know? So yes. it's like, you got to really decide what it is that you want, man. You know, Dustin Poirier made that choice after Connor made him make that choice. And, and Michael Johnson made him make that choice. Um, maybe this injury will make him make it. You know, we'll see. We'll have to see. Uh, all right, BC, let's get to um, <laughs> this dude makes me laugh. What can I say, dude? Jake Paul is, I, I said this on Monday's show, I think, BC, or maybe I said it to you, or I, I don't remember. His brother, Logan, you know, I, take it or leave it. He kind of bores me, but he's fine. He's whatever. You know, I don't, I don't have anything negative to say. It's just not for me. Jake, to me, seems a little bit different. He seems to be like Logan Paul with a little bit of, uh, I'll jump off the cliff first, dare me not to kind of energy. And they had a press conference yesterday in L.A. with Tyron Woodley. Uh, everyone couldn't get his name, couldn't get his name uh, uh, pronounced correctly. It's Tyron. You mean Tyron? Tyron yeah. was there, right? <laughs> yeah, or Tyrone, I think, as Jake called him. I mean, then, I mean, he might have been trolling. Who knows? Either way, doesn't matter. Point being is this. They had the presser. There was the weird-ass robot behind Jake. But I thought Jake had some pretty good zings along the way. we got a couple of clips here I want to play, BC, and then I want you to react to them. Uh, Gaff, let's play the clip, if we can, about the bet. The, the, the bet they want to I don't make. think the you can be bet. selective, Luke. I think he's got to play Are you confident or not? <laughs> what y'all think? Bro... Y'all think oh. I should do it? Bro, this guy, this guy has no fucking confidence. Bet. Deal or no deal? Deal. 
Can we, can we shake on it? There we go. So the bet was the bet. if either guy loses, they have to say, I love, and then the other person's name on their body and put it on Instagram. BC, what did you make of, of that bet and the and their interaction in the presser? I mean, look, the tattoo bet is stupid. I'm surprised that Woodley went forward with it, but it does show his confidence level. Um, that might have been the, the not the best commercial to show what we saw yesterday. Look, I watched this press conference. I didn't have high expectations. I was very entertained. Look, look, we've said this before. It has, look, it has nothing to do with, with Showtime and our connection there. Uh, we've said a few things before. In the celebrity vein, this is great matchmaking. You really can make a case for either guy to win by knockout, and I think both guys are going to go in there searching for the knockout. So that is what separates this fight from ultimately what we saw in Logan versus Floyd, which, you know, we got ourselves cooked into, and it was a great opportunity, and we did our best to sort of say, here's what I hope will happen. Well, I think that one played out worst-case scenario. I don't think this one's going to play out worst-case scenario. So from that regard, I came out of this presser fired up. I, I really believe both guys' shtick and trash talk from the standpoint of getting confidence that they can win. But to your larger point on Jake, dude, I don't know if he's just wearing us down, but he's pretty freaking funny. I'm not going to lie. He's like, like he's entertaining me with this bit and you nailed the difference. His brother, Logan is a little bit nerdier, a little bit more like pop the collar, trust fun, you know, dude at the, at the keg party who, you know, at the, at the freaking uh, uh, fraternity who skipped past the initiation and he's a, he's a legacy bro and all that. Luke, Logan's attitude toward boxing is like, ha I walked in your sport and now I'm a pay-per-view main event. Take that. Can you believe it? Which is annoying. Jake's strategy is like, nah, bro, I'm coming through there. I want to fight fighters. Now look, through three fights, has he fought killers? No. But to his point about the attention, pay-per-view buys, interest and money gained through three pro fights. Yeah, comparable. There's really no comparison. He's doing a unique boxing version of Kimbo Slice, Luke, as you've mentioned before, only he seems to be about that life. He was very honest in saying, I haven't fought a guy yet who can punch me in the face. You know, if, if Woodley's that guy, we're going to find out what my chin is made of. Uh, Jake Paul is sparring with the right level of competition to figure out whether he belongs in this game. But I'm much more into this narrative that Jake's putting out there that like, you know, I don't know if I belong in this game. But I'm all about this game, and I'm going to find out along with you if I belong here, and we're going to keep matching ourselves more difficult. Luke, Jake went to the level of saying, give me three years, and mm -hmm. I'll be ready for Canelo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Now, that's, gonna, that's, that's, yeah, another, no. that's another ballpark. Luke, that's another town. That's another island. Are you okay with him saying things like that in terms of his true intentions in this game? Yeah, I don't care about any of that shit. That's, that, 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 that's whatever, but... Uh, I'll say this, man. Here's the big difference between the, the Paul brothers, as best I can tell. One, you've articulated it, but two, I mean, think about it. Logan took on Floyd, where he had a massive size advantage in an exhibition. Still a very difficult challenge, and frankly, an impossible one, even with a diminished Floyd. But, you know, there's a little bit of safety involved with the whole thing, relatively speaking. Dude, this is a pro fucking bout. And I, all of Jake Paul's fans were like, dude, all of his bouts have been pro bouts. Yes, I'm sorry that I'm not the fucking Burt Sugar historian of Jake Paul's boxing career. It's been irrelevant to this point. Uh, sorry. But I'll say this. Dude, Tyron can knock him the fuck out. He's a real fighter. Certainly he's on the decline, but he's a real fighter who has done real things. You know, the Kimbo slicing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to amend it, and this is going to drive our audience fucking insanely mad at me. But hear me out. Again, the comparison is not totalizing. 
It's not just Kimbo Slice. It's a little bit of Conor McGregor in Jake Paul. Why do I say that? Because if you watch the, the presser yesterday, dude, Jake Paul knew all the details of Tyron Woodley's career. It's up, it's down, and he was throwing it in his face. But he only knew those things because he had clearly paid attention. One of the hallmarks of McGregor's rise through the the ranks is when he was trolling Floyd with that Warriors jersey from, I forget who the player was at this point. C.J. Watson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here's the point being is Connor would pay attention to these little details, little kind of things that would make you be like, wow, dude, he's all in included. And then he would throw that knowledge in people's faces. Dude, he was saying incredibly mean and hurtful shit to Tyron about the stage of the career that he's in and all the things that happened to him and all the fights and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're fighting me because this is your biggest payday. You've never been on this stage. And the shit was like, you know, it was it was obviously in part false, BC, but in part it wasn't. And the parts that were not false were uncomfortable. And he was at ease with saying those things on stage. Dude, he's, he's a little bit different than his brother. And because this is a pro bout, eight rounds, pro bout, to me, the stakes are higher. The, the opponent is much tougher given the circumstances. Yeah. And uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what happens I mean, look, here. Jake's easier to like, or maybe from from the sort of dudes that we are, Luke. Okay? He's, he's a little crazy. He's not about, like, yes, anime. Yes, he is a little and, crazy. That's right. And spouting off, you know, uh, uh, Pokemon and Doja Coin or whatever. I don't know. Whatever that bullshit is. Luke, he's got tattoos on the side of his head. I mean, he's a little crazy. So... It seems to work uh, in terms of he's got a chance to kind of win us over and make this uh, an entertaining run. Now, look, Luke, this fight did get a new date, and it got announced yesterday officially. It'll be Sunday night, August 29th. It'll be the night after a Showtime Championship boxing card from Phoenix in which David Benavidez is going to heavyweight, or sorry, headline at super middleweight against former champion Jose Uzcategui. The next night in Cleveland, Ohio, Luke, not L.A. Like, like you heard some people throw around, maybe, maybe Vegas, maybe Miami. Cleveland, Ohio, a little bit of a homecoming for the Paul brothers. Uh, this will be interesting. They put Amanda Serrano, who's the most decorated women's champion, having won belts in seven divisions in the co-main event. She's fighting a... Um, 118 pound champion who's I'm sorry 122 pound champion who's moving up in weight from Mexico uh it should be an interesting duel there they're going to add two more legitimate boxing fights to this main pay-per-view card but you know I we talked ad nauseum about this bubble the celebrity bubble it'll only last if you can keep giving fights where you don't know who's going to win and both guys are going to go for it Luke, I'm pretty secure in saying we're going to get that August 29th, whether whether the people out there buy it or not, or they like the Pauls or not. This is going to be the one. This is going to be a fun banger. It is. Cleveland uh, is the hometown of uh, Jake Paul. For folks who are wondering why they're in a place as BC goes and vomits live on air, or whatever the fuck he's doing, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it should be intriguing. Sunday night, 8 p.m. I'm not sure why they're doing it on a Sunday. No, they didn't really tell us, but... Uh, I guess that's what they did with the other Paul brothers, so they're going to do it this time as well. We'll see. I get the, the pay-per-view bot returns were not bad for Mayweather versus Paul, so I guess that they're thinking uh, this is a Sunday thing that could work. Is there anything in terms of, like I guess, is NFL back on that day? But they wouldn't be at night anyway. I'm not really sure. I I don't know why they're doing it on the on a Sunday, August 29th. I don't quite get that. Did they? Did you hear anything about why it's on Sunday, not Saturday? Uh, I don't know. I, all I know, Luke, is that, you know, we're talking about like Fury Wilder 3 getting rescheduled and has to get pushed out to October. There really aren't a lot of open weekend mm-hmm. dates where you don't have a 
UFC pay-per-view or in Showtime's case, they already have a card that Saturday night with Benavidez and Phoenix. So I think at the end of the day, look, you get into September, you're getting into Canelo territory. There's a lot of big fights coming up. Maybe this was the best place to sort of shoehorn it in. But uh, what a packed August we have, Luke. Uh, Spence Pacquiao the weekend before. Um, it's going to be wild. The big UFC I'll, card the week before that. So Yeah, I'll, I'll say this too about Tyron Woodley. Since no one's really, we were just talking about Jake and not Tyron. Tyron, I thought, did a pretty good job of, like, deflecting about, you know, dude, you lost your last four. You got bounced from the UFC. And, you know, he says, oh, the contract expired. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't offer a new one, you know. So, like, take that for what it's worth. But uh, I'll say this. I thought he did a pretty good job of, like, having an answer for them and, like, you know, leaning on his resume. Mm -hmm. At the same time, man, like, there's just, dude, Jake... Like, why are we talking about fighter pay all the time? A lot of reasons. But a big one, at least now, is that Jake Paul is constantly beating that drum. Constantly. Dude, he is constantly beating the drum of Tyron's decline to, like, get that into his head. Um, you know, I don't know what to extent that will affect him, and I don't know what he's got left. But, um, Jesus, it's a huge part of the story of this fight. And that can't be easy for a guy like Tyron, who is a decorated champion, to have to field that all the time. But look, this seems like a smart pivot for him. And I, I think that he played up, as you mentioned, the fact that Jake Paul hasn't fought anybody yet, right? Like Ben Askren with a bad hip and no hands was his best opponent. So I think Tyron did a great job of playing that up that, look, you know, yeah, I lost four in a row in the UFC, but I've been training this my whole life and, you know, for 20 years. And, and I've got, you know, decorated career and in, in, in evidence of using my hands. What the hell do you have, right? You fought a diabetic gas station or sorry pre-diabetic gas station attended but Luke can we throw to uh the the remaining sound that we have because I did want to ask you a key question here please go ahead please, let's Jeff, hear if you can get us yep. back in here fighter has ever accomplished what I've accomplished in three fights and people can say I didn't earn it people will say I don't deserve it but I'm earning more than any fighter have has ever earned three fights in and people know what what they get when they tune into a Jake Paul show Luke, I, he did double down on, on what I mentioned earlier that I, you can't really argue with that. He has sort of either, you know, made more money or been featured at a higher level through three pro bouts than anybody. I mean, you know, Lomachenko fought for a world title in a second bout, won a world title in his third, but it, it wasn't on the pay-per-view level for these this kind of financial money. So that might be right. But Luke, I wanted to ask you about that freaking robot. I don't understand that. I can't tell if I hate that or if it's... Or if, like, is it, it, I know it's not cool, I'll give you that much, but is there a person in that? What what even is that, Luke? Because Tyron, at one point, I thought, was going to try to attack it, and that could have been incredible theater, Luke. Yeah, it's someone who's got a bad job. A really bad job. You ever seen so those people who, like, like a... have to take the signs, like, with the arrows, and they got to flip them and point them so you can go buy a mattress in some strip mall? That's a pretty yes. fucking bad job, but this is right behind it. Do you think it's like some seven foot three guy in there, Luke? Some like washed, faded out NBA center who's yeah, playing this role now? Yeah, yeah. It's some dude who had like one season in Sacramento and then, you know, was playing in like the Iraq League in, in Greece yes, or something, yes. you know. It's like uh, former uh, Maryland center Gerard Mustaf is probably the guy in that, Luke. <laughs> That's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, yeah, yeah, so we'll see. All right, BC, are we doing Wheel of Death? What are we doing now? Yeah, we do that on Wednesdays. Yeah, Luke. Hey, how about that? All right. This is what we do. 
Oh, wow. Double, little little uh, double track auto-tune there. Seemed like Pennington James for a second. Luke, before we got into the wheel, though, I did want to mention something that I think is important, Luke, okay? You and mm -hmm. I, we are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Now, Luke, you and I, to be really honest with the people, you know... I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not even a member of the Boxing Writers Association of America or whatever it's called. Cause look, I just, I don't need your awards. It's cool. All right. I'm just doing my job. All right. I, I knew what I need. I need that salary. I need that paycheck so I can put braces on my kids' mouths. But Luke, um, if you love this show and you've already subscribed and liked and bought our merch, you want to do one more nice thing for us. This might be it. We appreciate all what our fans do. But we hope you love our show enough to nominate us so we can advance to the final round. Uh, to nominate, go to podcastawards.com slash apps slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. You see the, the little teaser below. You want to do that? You want to go vote for Morning Combat? We'll love you for it, Luke. Okay, I know, look, I'm not trying to say that this is your doing. You couldn't care less. Luke, you don't even get praise in your own household about your great work that you do. Yeah, no one no one cares what I do. So I'm not the kind of guy who, who is big into awards. Um, I've, you know, the only awards I've ever won were the ones you, they couldn't deny me because, you know, it's just a, uh, either you met the criteria or you didn't, but, uh, you know, yeah, if the fans out there want to get out and sign up for this and support us, I'll say this, uh, it'll make our bosses happy and making our bosses happy means more shows like last Friday, right? That's there a fair way to put it. That's a very fair way to put it. There's a, it's a means to an end. It's, it's a way, it's a, it's a way to judge corporately what we're doing and the impact it's you having. See, do you so think we'll you... win any of those MMA awards? I don't think we're even going to get nominated. Nothing. Doesn't Ariel get nominated like three times for each category? I don't know. I don't know. He's a, de he's a decorated uh, broadcaster. Shout out to him, Luke. Okay? Do, do I hey, let's here, get... Here's this. Ready for this? I guarantee that they won't nominate this show for best show, and they will put on the ultimate fighter for best show. I, I absolutely guarantee that. I guarantee that they're going to do that. Seems fair. Seems very fair, Luke. All right. <laughs> uh, hey, every Wednesday, uh, sometimes you know Luke can be a bitch. He doesn't want to talk about certain things, so I got to shoehorn them in this weird, uh, weird thing we do, where Luke spins the wheel five times, ten categories, good faith answers to decently faith questions. We call this the wheel of death. <laughs> yeah. You get what you get, Luke. Here are your 10 categories for the week. Discounted food items. <laughs> Pay me like your French girls. Acoustic death metal. Jack of all nations, master of none. Really gross shit. You're, you're seeing a couple leftovers from last week that didn't get picked, Luke. Uh, ESPN was never my friend. Please pass the Pilsner. No belts needed. The future of Daja coin. And Please women with doge. low self-esteem, Luke. You get what you friggin' what you get. get. All right, let's spin this. All right. I can't guarantee entertainment. I can just guarantee decently faith questions. Ooh, we got the echo. We got the echo. Please take that yes, off. Yes, we do. All right, pay me like your French girls, Leo. Uh, Luke, we mentioned this last week that Dana did that interview with the LA Times, Manuk. Akpokian, Akupian, my, my guy, Akop, my Armenian Akopian. friend. I think it's Akopian. Yeah. It was about fighter pay, and Dana now famously said, if you don't like it, go start your own MMA league and pay them 
whatever you want to pay them. Luke, in some ways, this is the most direct Dana has been on the topic, where his typical response is, before this, they either deflect away from it, or they act like it's a non-issue whatsoever. So, uh, imagine an alternate world in which you were called into Dana's public relations office. You were hired as a media consultant, and he said, look, Luke, I don't care about our past, all right? I didn't put you in that four-minute video for a reason. Because unlike that clown you work with, I actually respect you. So here's the deal. We need to con concoct strategies for how Dana will react moving forward. Because this topic of fighter pay will not go away. And we want to publicly heal the image on such a controversial topic between UFC brass and the fighters. So Luke, in what ways might Dana and the UFC do a better job reacting to questions about fighter pay and spinning it in a way that can begin to win in the core of public perception. Jesus, this is what I used to do for a living, dude. This is what you I used to do for a living. No, here's what I used to do. If someone worked in a fucked up industry in politics and their message wasn't working, but they weren't really ready to change anything about what they were doing, they just wanted to change their messaging around it, they would call my firm that I worked at, and what we would do is we would write these speeches, and then we would deliver them to focus groups or other attendees, and then we would give them a little, this is my the carrier for my uh, sunglasses, but we'd give them a, a device that had a dial on it. And then I would have someone read the speech, and we would have someone adjust the dial in real time, second by second, you don't wait till the end, second by second. And so you could see what messages resonate with audiences as, and then you would take those and then recraft them, do another whole series of focus groups. And so you got it exactly right. And then you take it back to the client and be like, here's better messaging for your absolutely fucked up shit. That's what I did. That's what that, that job made me so sick to my stomach. I couldn't do it for more than two years. And uh, I had all kinds of health problems. My fingernails fell out from stress. It was the worst shit ever. But uh, I do have experience in this. Well, okay, so imagine they call you back to it, Luke. All the UFC responses are either, fuck you, we're the boss, or I don't hear anybody complaining, do you? So that's not, Luke, that's not winning battles. How do you spin this? I'd say a couple of ways. Um, first things first, I would say the easiest way to fix this problem is to raise fighter pay, right? And in fact, I don't mean that flippantly, BC. One of the things they could do is... Like, for example, with the crypto or whatever, the UFC has probably decided that we could get away with not giving the fighters anything we don't have to until they make us without much consequence. And I don't think that that's wrong. I mean, yes, the lawsuit might go forward. There might be legislation, but the public is not going Dude, they just sold 1.8 million buys despite everything like the UFC's calculation that they can just ignore this and it won't cost them. They might be right. They might be right. Another way, however, to look at it is to say, right, but let's think about this. We already gave them accident insurance. We do pay more than any other promoter uh, on balance. And more to the point, what if we started doing a few other things to let them have money? For example, instead of putting the crypto ad on there, they could put, you know, UFC unilaterally decided we're going to put crypto on the shoulder, but anything you want in the middle, you can have. More to that point, um, you know, we're going to start giving away 25%. They would never do this, but I'm just going to make this up. 25% of our uh, media rights fees to all the fighters, just year over year free checks. In other words, 
You do the kinds of things that the union, if there was one, would make them do, but you do a much more watered-down version to the point where the fighters might be able to say, hey, listen, between the ads on my kit, between some of the rights fees we get from ESPN and, you know, let's say overall bump in pay, the Performance Institute, and uh, whatever else that they get in terms of compensation, I'm pretty happy with this arrangement. No one else in MMA could match that at that point. If you were actually giving away that kind of money, they wouldn't be able to do shit about it. But if I had to just do messaging, messaging, I think what I would say is look at how much money we have paid and show me who comes close. Show me who's even come close trying. And we don't mean individual you mean paydays in MMA? In MMA, in MMA. Okay. And then you could okay. talk about you could talk about a couple of key factors. You could talk about how yes, MMA doesn't have quite the high end for boxers, but one of the reasons why MMA works better than boxing is because one we have a much better middle class in MMA than we do in boxing. I think that, that is actually true. And B, what you could say is, yes, Deontay Wilder makes $20 million, but where is the boxing or top-ranked performance institute? Where is their accident insurance? Yes. Where is any of these things that they have? They don't have any of it. They, don't, they, they pretend that they have it. And so what we do is Conor McGregor and guys like that can make extraordinary amounts of money, but we take care of a much broader swath and set them up for success in a way that boxing just leaves them to their own devices. So... On the balance, you're not going to see some of those extravagant paydays. But what you are going to see is a lot more happy fighters being able to live longer, happier lives as a consequence of some of our participation in the Cleveland Clinic Brain Health Study, our accident insurance, mm -hmm. our performance institute, and everything else in between. So it's interesting. That's really smart because some of these things like the Cleveland Clinic is really UFC trying to cover their own ass, right? Of course, to be like, of course Look, it we, is, we, yeah. But they could, they could spin that as we are doing that for your health. So I think the key to better messaging is the Performance Institute. I think the key is saying, look, okay, you can say what we do about fighter pay, but do you know how much we are paying and offering them to bring their training camp to Las Vegas free of charge, to eat with a world-class chef to make sure they make weight, to have, you know, masseuses and therapists there working with them? I think that's the play-up. I do think it's interesting what you said about giving away, if not the front of the shirt, a spot, you know, okay, you can walk to the cage in a shirt of a presenting sponsor pre-approved by us of your choice, 100%. or you can put it on the back. That would do a lot to, because look, it's not a good headline for the UFC that they sign a nine-figure deal with Crypto.com, and every fighter except for McGregor is forced to wear that Crypto.com shirt to the yeah. ceremonial weigh-in. I mean, it looks like, BC, you know, uniformed dude, tin I, soldiers. I, I, just, I, do, I distinctly remember... I distinctly remember, an era, and this was before there was a lot of awareness about fighter pay, but this was the big, like people don't understand this who are new to the sport about Reebok. Before Reebok, you would get a lot of fighters who'd be like, well, the pay kind of sucks, but the sponsorship money is fucking sick, and I just make most of my money from sponsors. And the UFC said, oh, well, we want that take. Okay, fine. But dude, a big reason why you hear complaints about fighter pay is because sponsorship no longer offsets what that used to be find a way to offset that and i guarantee you the complaints won't go away but you'll hear a lot less of them or yeah i mean whatever it is ufc is going to get their cut from it but just something that that you can point to with the fighters getting more cut because i don't think you the comparison to other mma leagues is interesting but they have such a a lead financially and structurally that doesn't really fix it because you can't compare yourself to other sports because the percentage of, of what major team sports pay is so much higher but uh yeah, look, they got to do something because the more that they continue to sign these big giant deals that the fighters get none of, you know, and then we hear Dana saying, hey, the court team's fine. I got a $27 million mansion. I can hang out there for a while. Like, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, these must be nice. Don't have well, the last thing much. I say this on the on the PI, it's not just about who shows up and then they get the world class meals and all that kind of stuff. It's more than that. Remember, they put one in Mexico and they put one in. Or they're building one, or I guess the one in China and they're building one in Mexico. Um, part of that is to prime the pump, right? So you could they could say, listen, part of what we're doing is. And yes, they're going to be the. They want to prime the pump in Mexico so they can get all the best fighters into the UFC. But they do know it won't work that way. There will be eventually some that spill over into Bellator and other organizations. But they're saying, listen, we're the ones investing in actual institutions that build sports from the or build MMA from the community up. That doesn't come for free, but it has lasting benefit for everyone. Um, folks should understand there are some things we can do to raise pay, and we will. But we also want to make sure that we build the sport in a lasting kind of way over generations, over national boundaries. That doesn't happen without what we're doing. Dude, that's a, that's a compelling argument. Or you could just tell the truth and be like, yo, we pay them in cash and bags so much more than you know that they publicly get paid. So just shut the hell up and realize that, okay? All right? Uh, Luke, let's go. Spin number two. Here we are. You get what you get. Come on, big booty, gross Latino. No, no, that's awful. That's awful. Jack of all nations, master of none. Yeah, that sounds about hey, right. Hey, Luke, you fancy yourself a world traveler, a seeker of all cultures and customs, and someone who has been there and done that and, oh, has no problem telling you unsolicited everything about that. Like, have you heard Luke married a Colombian lady? I don't know if we've heard this yet. Luke, you're pretty much a large asshole and an old bitch is really where I'm going with this. But um, Thanks, BC. That's we, just the message I needed to hear today. I appreciate that. We uh, we often hear, though, that you mention your favorite cities, Luke. You know, your, your trip to Spain has, has been a life changer for you. We, we regularly hear, whether we're talking about the States or abroad, just what you love. We don't often hear what you don't like, Luke. So this is your chance. What are your three least favorite cities with citing up to three reasons for each that you have ever been to domestically or abroad? Yeah, Panama City sucks. Not the one in Florida. The actual one in Panama sucks. It's not It's not good. The beach is not interesting. The food is okay. It's not great. The sites are not great. Um, you know, it was reasonably well built in the sense that, like, it has modern amenities. But even, I mean, I'd rather have it not have modern amenities and have some character than to have all that stuff and has no character so between the heat and between the lack of character and there's just, I mean, the Panama Canal was cool to see, but other than that, like you can skip Panama City. Like it sucks. Okay. Uh, I, we'll I, I did a, list. yeah, I did a layover in, uh, I forget what city it was. I did a layover in El Salvador once. Um, not the greatest place that I've ever been. Not the greatest place I've ever been. Um, the flight, did you leave the I, airport. Yeah, I did. And there were bed bugs on my flight. I remember getting off and having just my ankles and calves chewed to pieces on oh. that flight. And there was like little people in the uh, airport with chickens and shit. Like I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this layover again. I'm going to do the layover in Miami. Fuck this. Um, so that place sucked. Okay, and, random uh, city in El Salvador is number I forget, two. I forget, where, about- I, forget, I forget where it was. I forget where the airport was. You have to forgive me. Um, that's All right, somewhere that... in Central America is number two. And Luke, your third least favorite city in the right, world let me pick is... On, let me pick on a European city. Now. You know what? This is going to get me killed, but I don't care. You know what city I think it's fine, but I don't like it? I think it's super overrated. Paris. Paris ain't that oh, money, dude. 
Okay. I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck how many romantic movies you've seen. I've been to wow. Paris a dozen times, easily. Um, my brother was born there. Uh, my family lived there for 10 years. Like, I know a lot about It's overrated as shit. It's expensive. It's, if, it, it didn't used to be as bad, but now it's really sprawling. Like, it just goes on and on and on forever. The Fr- There's a big misconception. The French are nice. The Parisians are not. They are absolute pricks. Um, just like you know, Montreal. It's a, like, Quebec's no, a Montreal, great province. I, well, yeah, they're rude in Montreal, too, but Montreal's a great city. Yeah. The food in France, obviously, if you know where you're going, can be good. But, like, dude, the average old place you could just stop at, like the average old cafe, not that good. Not that good at all. Okay. And, uh, you know, yes, it's a world-class city with world-class amenities and stuff. So, yes, I'll say this. The Paris uh, subway is maybe one of the best subways I've ever seen. So I'll give them that. But, like, you know, like the sights and the sounds, like, it's just it, – it, people make it out to be like, oh, you'll see the Eiffel Tower and your heart will fill with joy. No, it won't. It'll fill with a bunch of fucking dumbass tourists in front of you. You get to see the cool view at the top. But it's not as spectacular as people make it out to be. Well, look, um, what happens is – People go to France and then they have sex in Paris and then they have this nostalgic romanticism yeah. collection with it. So you you must have not gotten it done there, Luke. Yeah, maybe. I, well, that's not, I don't think that's true either. I think I did get it done, but even then, it's just. I don't think so. I don't think so. Dude. Okay, whatever. But the point being is, um, and I would know from experience, dude. Yes, I'm sure you. you I'm I mean. sure you would. But the point I'm trying to make <laughs> is that like, everyone, got everyone wants out. to make the city out to be like magical in some way, and it's not that. It's not that fun. The food can be good, but again, place to place, terribly overrated, super expensive, sprawling. I'll put it this way: if you had, let's say, a thousand bucks to tour and a European city, meaning hotel, whatever, and you know, let's say you had a thousand bucks, that's the last city I'm going to spend it in. Um, wow, a little, little upset a picture. I mean, Paris is, you know, uh, that's fine, but uh, random city in Central America that no one, no one knows, including you. I was expecting you to come guns blazing at, like, some of our favorite U.S. metro stops, but you were, like, you know, very, very political here. Yeah, I mean, there's places in America that sucks, too. All the, like, like we're going to Cleveland. If I never go to Cleveland, what am I missing? Besides Bro, Rock lice. and Roll Hall of Fame is <laughs> badass. Okay. okay, I don't give a shit about that. I don't really care about that at all. You know, why can't we have wow. fights in like New Orleans or something? Oh, you I know? forgot. You don't like good music, Luke. That's probably why, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, have they put enough R&B and pop artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to water it down to nothingness yet? I don't know. Okay. Uh, all right. Anyway, I'm just pointing out like there are some American cities with a lot of like uh, character, but they don't put a lot of fights in them, unfortunately. So. We go. should go fly to Washington State and hang out with your buddy Aaron, who gave you the uh, the bag of meat. Because Luke, he's threatening to mail us a giant wheel of Gouda cheese, the Cougar Gouda cheese that he says will change our life. Luke, will there be any roofies added to that cheese, or is this a a transaction you'd be willing to get a part of? I'm willing to find out. All right, all right. Shout out to our boy there. All right, uh, Luke, spin number three coming your way. Yeah, everyone's favorite, Luke. Really gross shit. Hey, Luke, from Ryan Hall to Ronda Rousey, ground-based mixed martial artists have long had an affinity for disforming their earlobes as some form of public badge of honor regarding the amount of time and effort they have put into grappling over the years. Luke, 
in as good faith and filthy casual way in which you can, please try and explain both to me and any other equally horrified viewer about this culture which breeds this phenomenon and why any upstanding citizen, particularly those that are good looking and hoping to slay, would add such decrepit property value to their moneymaker by turning into a Klingon. In debate form, I ask you to defend their decision to do this and on the flip side, share with me which MMA fighter, past or present, has the grossest set of cauliflower ear and should be ashamed of themselves. Luke, first, defend the culture. Second, who has the worst set of lobes in the game today? Uh, Ryan's are pretty bad. His are pretty bad. Um, Couture had some bad ones. I think Forrest Griffin said he one time was taking him down and he had his ear pressed against the side of his leg and it was like someone trying to smash a dumpling with their head on someone's leg is what it felt like. Um, I've seen someone in pure wrestling that are just really, really bad. The reason why the folks don't do much about it is because if you spend as much mat time as Ryan has spent, and I think I don't folks understand how much time that is. It's most of your day for the last 20 years of your life. It's just, it's really not all that possible to control for it. You can probably do some, some people get it worse than others, but it's just, it's very, very hard to avoid is the first thing. Some people have done it. Rich Franklin never had bad ears, but um, you get the idea. That's the first thing I'd say. Connor's Second thing got I'd a say little is, bit. You, you pointed it out to me. Connor's got a little bit. He's got, Connor had bad. He had drained his ear in two places in his left ear, so he was getting it bad. But the real reason why you keep it is because if you live their life where every day you wake up, you eat breakfast, and then you're off to the gym for either all day or multiple parts of the day, and, dude, that's all that they do. Like, you have to understand who these people are. If you travel, if you compete, if whatever, in the world in which they circulate, you have a hard-to-deal-with problem to the point where if you just leave it or if you have visible trauma on your ears, this is what you don't understand. You can show up to any gym in America, not like a Golds, but like a Marcelo Garcia's or whoever, AKA, and you roll up with those ears and you will have an automatic passport to respect that other people will not. Yeah, with other weirdos. Okay, but that's who you're around. That's who you decided to I mean, live look, your is life this around. Any different than if you were a guy who who slays often and you're proud of that? That you know, what's the result of that negative? Well, you get some pretty gross STDs, so you just you just don't even attempt to me medicinalize it. You just let that shit grow, and it's coming out through your shorts. It's like, yo, bro, yeah, yeah, you know. What I, mean? I think that's that problem is a lot more. Jerk. That problem is a lot more controllable than this one. There's, I mean, you can wear headgear. But it really will impact the way in which you roll and what submissions you can and can't get out of. And by the way, that Hager won't be there when you compete, so it doesn't necessarily do you a ton of good. It's just an occupational hazard that ended up being a symbol of one's commitment to the craft. So that when you show up someplace and you've got those, like imagine if you had to go do like Showtime was like, hey, BC, we want to send you to uh, to go see how Islam Makachev trains over in Dagestan. I mean, obviously he's an AKA, yeah. but whatever. Let's say you were doing that. And you rolled up there because you're old and washed now, but back in your 30s, you know, you developed a little bit of uh, trauma on your ears. Dude, they're going to see that, and they're going to know, okay, wait a second. He might be not one of us, but he's of our okay. kind, and you're going to get a so completely like, different level of treatment. In the 90s, if you saw somebody with a, either a neck tat or a hand tat, you'd be like, either they've done time or they can really fight, bro. Like, I'm just going to respect that from a distance, right? It's kind of like that. Yes, it's just like that. That's correct. 
Like when you watch me chew, Luke, and one eye goes in the other direction of the other eye, it's look, it's a, it's a factory town defect, but it's part of what what makes me tough, Luke. Okay, you know I just what I, mean? I, I know Egg Shen is just your favorite character in a movie, and you're just recreating all of your those magic moments. Uh, Luke, I will say your boy Ryan Hall. I was like, that was my first uh, media day with him, where I like sat and listened to him talk for like 25 minutes. Bro, he's he's too good for the sport. Like he's yeah. an interesting cat. I mean, he's yeah, he doesn't. Like, he's there's a few fighters like that when they talk. You're like, oh, you don't belong here because I mean, you could fight, but like, you know, you're better than the rest of us. Yeah, that's he's one of those. Mm -hmm. All right, hey, two spins to go, Luke. Let's see if you get anything good here. Spin that shit. Please pass the Pilsner. All right. Hey, Luke, considering we started drinking beer as teenagers directly before the craft revolution changed the way we consume this beverage as Americans, it's safe to say guys our age have seen their taste palates grow exponentially. But despite men of our age's graduation into beer kinds like double IPAs, gozés, saisons, barley wines, and other hipster trends, we all cut our teeth typically in the woods after dark, fighting our way through a lukewarm can of mass-produced American Pilsners that have just as much taste of actual urine as it does barley and hops. But Luke, we fucking loved it just the same, all right? In fact, some of us still do and drink that shit either for nostalgic reasons or for financial reasons or maybe just because a cold beer on a hot summer's day still rules, Luke, and it does, okay? So with that nostalgia in mind, which three canned beers do you most associate to either your early high school or college drinking days that still have that same power of nostalgia over you that when you see it or someone passes you one, you're like, yeah, bro, fucking hey, yeah, Milwaukee's beast ice, yeah, let's go back to the William and Mary days in our Greek life as we bung each other in the, for initiation purposes only. Believe that. Uh, Luke, which three shitty canned beers hold the greatest level of nostalgia for you today? Once again, you totally misunderstand Greek life, you being the absolute perfect fit for it, number one. Nah, not true, no, not true. Uh, I would say uh, Natty Light, Natural Light was the big one. That was the number yes. one seed, Natural Light. Sil like a silvery, white, blue can kind of. Um, two, I would say, is going to be Beast Light, Bush Light. That was just, it was affordable, shitty everywhere but that um, so dude be... the bush light flavor is great in that category like compared to its competitors luke i mean yeah. it's way freaking better than miller high life i love the high life by the way i love the champagne See, i'm not beer. A i'm not but, a high life guy i'm not a champagne but beer bush guy. lights way better do bush lights better than coors light too you know you know what's too i hated in college the most coors light sucked and then keystone light remember keystone light oh god that's bad that's bad. fucking you know. worst south i'll Paul drink some jenny Cremale. Luke, I, went, my, I have an uncle who got married at like 40 a couple years ago, so he had a wedding in his front yard. He had a hot dog vendor. He had an ice cream truck. He had cases full of Jenny Cream Ale. I was like, hell yeah, dude. Genesee Light. I mean, that was, that was fantastic, dude. But I would say that my number one thing, and I'll st I, I won't really drink the Natty and the Beast, and not that anyone ever offers me any at this point, but the one that I will still like kind of side-eye at the grocery store a little bit, and it was really my introduction to... You know, oh, I want to vicariously, you know, find a way to enjoy rap videos in my life. Uh, hurricane, the 40 ounce hurricane. 
That was the one that, uh, I mean, that's just $2 worth of punishment. Quick, fast, gets the job done. When you're broke, a 40-ounce of Hurricane, uh, that's that's magic in a bottle. Luke, uh, my most, I came up on Natty Led, I came up on Bush and Bush Light, no no question, like most guys our age. But Luke, the beer that I got shit-faced on, like the first, eight out of the first ten times I drank in my life, do you remember when Miller came out with the Miller Red Label in 1995? Yep, it was I only sure around did. for one year. It was basically supposed to be Miller's Amber Ale before we as a society were really ready for that, Luke. They put a lot of money into it, and it failed miserably. Dude, we drank the shit out of Miller Red, and as soon it was, as it was on the scene, it was gone, Luke. And I went on the uh, Miller Brewing Tour in Milwaukee with a couple friends in 2001, with the express cons- goal of uh, of trying to see if they had any like you know cases lingering around there, nobody n- nobody had a freaking clue, Luke. It's like it was gone. It's like the Arch Deluxe at McDonald's, right? It was here and then it's gone, Luke. Uh, somebody out there has got to have like a thirty pack of Miller Red in their basement for like the past twenty five years, just like waiting for this moment to hear me say this, so they can try to sell it to me for big money, Luke. I would buy the crap out of that. Yeah, that does sound good. I remember for red beer, we would drink Killian's Irish Red. Remember that? We'd drink a yep, little bit of the Killian's, but uh, but yeah, hated no, that th- shit. Yeah, I- I've done that too. I mean, we weren't ready for stuff, Luke. I mean, you, know, you remember the first time you had a C- Sierra Nevada? It was like your first IPA. You're like, what the hell so is this, bro? So fucking gross. You know? That's that's still a shitty beer, but um, yeah. Do you I think, remember yeah. when um when Sam's Oktoberfest would only come out in October and it before craft beer took over and it was like the greatest thing ever created? Yeah. I will say, though, that when I was in college, like if you wanted to treat yourself with beer, a, a, a case of Miller Lite was like, that was high end. You know, that was like, oh, OK, you, you paid extra for this, you know, because no, I, I think when Miller, I think when I was in Williamsburg, there was a there was a food line right by campus and they would sell. I think I got this right. They would sell a case of Natty Light. So that's 24 beers for people overseas for uh, eleven dollars. And then the case of Miller was like fifteen, so you're like, oh, that's an extra four. I don't mind. I don't, you know, yeah, you're pinching pennies at that point. But dude, can you imagine that twenty four beers for like ten or eleven bucks? I mean, that's such a fucking steal. That's a great steal, Luke. Um, I was gonna say Miller Lite sucks. I have affinity for the high life. Did you ever get into MGD Miller Genuine Draft back then? Nah, I didn't like any of that shit. All right, all right, Luke. Red Red Dog. I got it. I got it. yeah. Remember I've the done first, it. dude. Dude, you remember like the first time you drank like two full beers? It's the equivalent of being like on ecstasy and acid mixed together, Luke. It's just like you float. I mean, it's just like you float. You're you're just in another freaking yeah. And I think we spent our whole life trying to recreate that high, and you know we just can't. We can't, Luke. Can't All do right? it, bro. That's why you got to turn to gross porn, right? Listen, Perv City, give me a free membership, please. All right, one more for you, Luke. Uh, you know, I don't know if this sur- this segment will survive another week. We'll see. Here we go. Hey, no, no belts needed. needed. Luke, Saturday night was the rare blockbuster UFC pay-per-view main event that was not contested for an interim or full UFC title when McGregor and Poiwei met for the third time. UFC president Dana White did carry on the tradition like none other, Luke, when he said that pay-per-view was trending to be the biggest in UFC history. As we talked about, it may have finished number two if you count international sales. But, Luke, throughout UFC history, 
There has actually been six other non-title pay-per-view main events that have surpassed the 1 million pay-per-view buy mark. Name five of the six to close out this week's Wheel of Death. Jesus. Non-title, non-interim, non-title, pay-per-view main events that have sold 1 million buys in the UFC. The two Conor Diaz fights, right? Correct. Okay, that's two of them. Conor um, Diaz 2 did 1.6 at UFC 202. Conor Diaz 1 at 196 did 1.3 million in 2016. Okay. Um, God, you're going to tell me these when I don't get them, and I'm going to be like, how the fuck did I not know that? Um, all right, so there's those two. Um, I'm trying to think of who else non-title main events that sold that well. Um I don't know, man. My, my brain's not working today, dude. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Wow, Luke. Okay, one of them was this calendar year. Was it Connor and Poirier? Yep. That at right. UFC 257 did a reported 1.6 million. Although again, UFC doesn't report them. It's hard to really know is that international and whatever. But that's a that's a monster. That's that, that's like the okay. the that's, third that's big. biggest or second biggest. Okay. Give me a, give me a hint for some of the other ones. Let's see if I just a small hint. See if I can get them. You got one more Conor McGregor fight. Okay, so Cowboy. Yep, that was 246. It did 1.35 million. Okay. And then, Luke, you've got two others. Both non-title bouts, but both in the light heavyweight division. Ooh, Jesus. Um, do any of... Oh, do, do, do any of them involve Couture and Liddell? Incorrect, but good guess. Uh, I don't know. I give up. All right, the obvious one I thought was UFC 114, Rampage versus Rashad did 1.05 million. Yes, uh, obviously yes, right. fueled, fueled by the ultimate fighter season in which the door got ripped off. Kimbo was there. It was a, it was a big deal. The one that threw me for a loop, Luke, UFC 92, 2008. That was a big pay-per-view. 1.05 million pay-per-views. Your main event, Rich Ace Franklin versus Dan Henderson, Luke. Yeah. Blown away by that. that. Yeah, but that card, if memory serves, 92 was a big card. Let me look it up here real quick. Yeah, so UFC 92, Rashad and... Uh, wait, wait, no, that had Rashad and Forrest at the top, and that was for the title. Might have the wrong number. Yeah, you must, because number. that one's got a title on it. A couple of them. All what right, fight did you say it was? I thought it was uh, uh, Rich Franklin versus Dan Henderson, but that's not okay. UFC 92. You're no, right. it's You're not. Right. Let's see. Rich Franklin. Let's see. He fought Dan Henderson and lost him. UFC 93. Okay. I was wrong, Luke. It's the right number. It's the right date, but you are correct. It's the ultimate 2008. I had the wrong fight atop the marquee there. This one was Rashad Evans versus Forrest Griffin in the main event. Yes. Frank Mir against Big Nog in the co-main. And you also had Rampage Jackson versus Vonderlay on that main card. So I screwed up one. the fight, but it is the same event. Hey, how about Rashad twice, Luke? Right? But that's a title bout, isn't it? The one against Rampage wasn't. The one against Forrest was. So you just dead wronged yourself live on air. I, so I just ru I ruined the whole segment. There you go. All right, Luke, there, there's that shit for this week. Let's go to the other one that, that, that uh, we do every Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com. Dead wronging myself in mid. Uh, that's great. 
It's real great. Uh, Luke, fan submissions every Wednesday. You can hit us up at that email, send in your shit, and uh, let's run that graphic, please. We've got mail. We've got some mail. All right. Luke, how badly did I butcher that dude? Yeah, I was, you fucked that up pretty bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's keep it rolling here. Luke, our first fan submission coming at us from G-U-E-R-M-A-N, from German. He mm. says, check out my COVID garage gym, Luke and BC. Don't judge my front squat too harshly. I'm doing the best I can. It's not as badass as doing them in your front yard, but my neighbors would call police on me if I ever did that. Was very excited to get my T-shirt. It's very high quality and fits. On top of that, my wife told me it makes me look thinner. It's a win-win. Can't wait for merch 2.0. Keep up the great work. You are the best in the biz. Luke, how about this guy with the MK shirt going low, squatting? Yeah, so he's got a front squat position. His front rack is a little bit off because if you go, uh, show the fingers here or show the major picture, the full picture. Uh, if you notice, he's only got two fingers on the bar. It's okay. You can do it that way, but it tells you his front rack position needs a little bit of work. But I'll say this. Uh, his gym looks good. He's got good equipment. His, his, uh, his squat itself looks really good. The only thing that stands out to me is again the two fingers. You can. It's not. You know. You, you should be able to get all, your entire hand underneath. But if not, it's okay. The only thing that gets me on this one, BC. One more time. Go to the photo. I want to show you something. <laughs> He's got a thirty-five pound plate. He's got two thirty-five pound plates. I don't know how to explain this. Thirty-five pound plates are like the plate in the gym that everybody doesn't want, except this guy. And he's got two of them, and I think he's got tens on the other side, so he's got a forty-five on each side in that sense. But um, it's a little it's weird. Like a he's got thirty-five. It's like a Susan B. Anthony coin. Yeah, like a two-dollar bill, basically. Yeah, but I'll say this: yeah. his squat looks good, and his gym looks really good. So, shouts to this guy. Uh, Luke, UFC ninety-three was Ace Franklin against Henderson. That only did three hundred fifty thousand buys, so I did dead wrong myself. Rashad did do over a million, but it was not a non-title bout. All right, thank you, German. We'll keep it going here at Heels Girl six one five. Luke, you remember her? She threatened to get married in Vegas with Elvis. Her and her man promised pictures. Luke, they said we love you guys. Check out our trip to Vegas. Luke, as you can see, Elvis wedded these two in holy matrimony, but check out the groom, if we can zoom in one more time, wearing our MK 1.0 merch to the desert. Luke, that's dedication. Big time. These people all seem quite happy. I wish them nothing but congratulations. I'll just say, man, my, my man Elvis over there is looking whizzoshed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh that's like Elvis the day of the death, right? That's like him yeah. on the toilet, like pale as shit. Yeah. I'm this sure is, he did a great job. He but had Luke, like did, he had like four peanut butter and banana sandwiches and then just yes. died on the crapper. And made out with a with a 14-year-old. Yeah, that's the full Elvis style. Hey Luke, the groom right there, do you want to see the gift, the wedding gift that he gave his fight fan wife? Sure. From this trip. Let's check it out, Gaff. It's her own, Luke, Venom fight kit, if we can go to the back. Mm. I mean, Luke, come on. I mean, get you a wife that not only will watch fights with you, but that you can buy a Venom fight kit for for your wedding gift. Come on. I agree. You know what? I used to, I used to make fun of people for, like, being all into, like, you know, UFC gear and shit. 
and I've done a 180 on this. I feel like this is a great gift and a great thing that their marriage can have this to share. Good for them, man. Dude, I've done a 180 on fan. Like I, when you and I were at the weigh-in last week, we were at the uh, at the podium, like way back at the other side of the arena from the stage where the cameras are set up because we were doing a an HQ hit right afterwards. Look to see the way the crowd popped for every fighter that came up, and anytime there was a pushing and shoving. Man, dude, I just wanted to be in the middle of that. Like, I, the, Luke, our job gets us so close to the action that we are, look, if you're a fight fan and you have our job, you're walking on sunshine every day. But, Luke, I don't get to experience it like Mr. and Mrs. Ingram here. I don't get to wear my own Venom fight kit and show up at the fights, Luke. Am I missing something big here? I'm missing something. No, see, I don't miss that part of it. I don't, I don't miss going to bars or, you know being in the audience i don't miss any of that it's like i know what you mean for the for the right kind of person it's you know intoxicating but not, i'm not that guy all right luke our old friend david a aka the french bill cosby david appleton he's back luke he says as announced on last week's dead wrong merch two aka three t-shirts no cups finally reached france with international shipping and who better to try it on than my friend appleine and yours truly here is David Appleton and his friend Appleine going tip to tip, presumably right before he put on a sweater and roofied her, Luke, in, in full uh, Bill Cosby tribute there. So, uh, yes, absent all of the latter things you said there, the other part of this warms my heart and I love seeing it. And God bless them. I'm glad people can get a, a international shipping now. Love it. Uh, David has one more. He says, I even threw in a bonus for Brian, us singing a cheesy 90s rock ballad, more than combat words. Okay, I'll get my coat. Can we play this, Gaff? This is going to be incredible. Dude, how about that? How about Appleton and Apollonia over here, right? Dude, Dude with the the old extreme hit off of Pornography D2. Yeah, Luke, this is fantastic. Dude, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I got to say, that's that's impressive. They've done well for themselves. God bless them. Great fans. I hope they, they bang the second this camera turned off, right? I mean, all right. He says, P.S., more seriously, you guys got me back into boxing, so keep up the current balance of coverage and fuck the haters in the comments. Wow, this French yeah. citizen, Luke, you just tore apart his, his city. No, no, no. But, but he... I said Paris I didn't like, but the big misconception, people think the French are mean. No, that's not true. The French are yeah. not mean. The French are actually quite nice. The Parisians are mean. Yes, yes. I, I, I give much love to, to David A., his students that he sleeps with, and all that, and congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Luke, Somebody Andreas is here. <laughs> he says, Dear Luke and Brian, a little greeting from Denmark. With Merch 2.0 being so late, I had to call in a favor from a friend in Boston where I lived while doing my entire master's degree at Tufts University. 
Luke, some of us actually graduated from a good university. I had him buy the t-shirt as seen in the picture and the sweater, then had him ship it to this address and to his address and then afterwards ship it to Denmark. Although international shipping is now available, I'm happy that I'm the proud owner of the OG True Merch 1.0. I've been a viewer since day one. I love the content. A long time ago, you had movie reviews and just did again on Friday's episode. I once challenged you to watch and review the Danish cult comedy classic, Cloven the movie because it's truly an MK movie. I hope you give it a shot. All the best, Andreas. P.S. Now that Belgium is out of Euro 2021, maybe Luke will start to cheer for Denmark. Your thoughts, Luke? Well, this must be old because Denmark's out of it too. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, my one of my very, 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 very good friends in my life. I've known him since high school. He went to Tufts. So um, smart, smart guy. This guy must be. How do you think this man looks in our merch, Luke? I probably saw him on January 6th here in town. <laughs> Do you think he has a selfie in what's her name's office? Probably. Yes. But probably, no, no. Yeah. these are, these are Danish gentlemen there. So thank you for going to that effort for securing our merch. This, I mean, these are, these are our people. Luke. These are the kind of people that will mail us wheels of cheese. Okay. So shout out yep, to that. Uh, enough, Luke Chewy. Chewy is here with two. He says, uh, Hey guys, here's a shot of me sporting Merch 1.0 at Valley of Fire State Park, not far outside of the fight capital of Las Vegas. Also, we made a Whole Foods, Whole Foods stop before heading out and ran into the savage himself, Andre Feely. The shirt may or may not have inspired the eye poke that unfortunately ended the fight from two weeks ago. Anyways, thanks for all the content. Been a Professor Salt and Pepper fan since he broke down Holloway Aldo and gave me a further appreciation of the sport. I remember during the MMA beat days thinking, who is this gas station, hot dog eating, wrestling loving, 90s referencing trash panda? He speaks my language. Was sad to see Luke end his run at Vox, but beyond stoked when the greatest show in combat sports started. Keep up the good work and hope a live show can happen at some point. Hey, Chewy, it just happened, brother, and it was badass, all right? More to think, come. Um, more to come. More to come, yes. Um, so that's Chewy there in the Schmedium. He says, P.S., don't go too hard on my Schmedium T-shirt, working on fitting properly into a double XL, no front yard to have a home gym, but I do have a membership at my local gym. Luke, I won't talk about his shelving because, you know, if you're in a glass house, you cannot, you cannot throw stones. I got a black liver, Luke. Okay. But how, how about Chewy representing us and running into touchy feely? Great stuff. Brand, brand ambassador for a, a while. It sounds like, and, uh, incredibly grateful for this guy's support for what we do. So thanks to Chewy, man. Love it. I would love to know how I got that nickname. Great. Little, little, little meat. What do you call those things? Luke? Hmm. Oh, his, his uh, beard. mutton chops. Yeah, he's got a mutton chop thing going. Maybe it gets the girls in where he's from. Maybe, Luke, okay? Hey, Austin W. has three photos here. One is Italian sculptor Fabio Viali sculpting these statues. He uses special ink that permanently stains the marble. The deeper the ink goes, the more solid and intense that color becomes. See the attached photos for fan submissions. Your thoughts here, Luke? Yeah, they're cool. Uh, again, these wouldn't be tattoos I would get, but they're pretty cool. Wheel of Fortune. How about Wheel of Death? Yeah. All right. Luke, I'd like to see you get a bust of a of a of a tattoo. And oh, just... see that one I like. The Japanese one on the back. Yeah, that's really fucking yes. good. That's really okay. good. So if you have an aversion to needles like me, you can buy these stone busts. 
can have them tattooed. That's really what, what's going on here, right? Yes, that's exactly correct. All right, Luke. Uh, let's let's wrap up here. Wes G says, "Hey, LT and BC, greetings from Palm Springs, California, where local regulations require owners of shared pools to post these signs." Though between Luke's Pepto consumption and Brian's Kentucky Fried Liver, I believe my additional sign may be redundant. Luke Thomas is pissed and BC is art. May all your ex-lovers stay frosty. Day one fan, Wes, a.k.a. 8-Bit Imaginations. Luke, what's the joke here? Uh, I guess because I have to constantly dump after the show. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Do not go near the water with that uh, grossness. Okay, a uh, cord is sliding in, K-O-R-D. I wasn't sure if I got the right email address, so I sent two of these. My name is Cord, and I'm a day one fan. I got a video of my daughter cheering on BC as he did the shoey on the UFC 264 live show. She's four, and my boy is three, and both are little MK fans. Yes! C, B, C, B, C. Luke, MK is indeed for the children. Hey, could he have more trash in his front seat? C, B, C, B, C. Luke, can't you just uh, can't you just enjoy how cute his offspring Listen, are, Luke? His kids look like the most adorable little children ever, uh, and I mean that sincerely. But I had to zing him because that's just what I do on this part of the show. Yeah. All right. Here comes Jordan. He says this pretty much sums it up, guys. not wrong it's not wrong all right I mean, look uh, here's the deal though i feel like when it finally came time to buckle down we gave good ufc 264 coverage i really do oh yeah nobody nobody does it like us luke okay sam v is here he says always a great time tuning into the mk but man bc just has to let aging happen it's a fight you'll never win thanks for the great content if you need an explanation this is creed from the office and he uses printer ink as hair dye in the episode <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. I didn't watch The American Office, but that is that's a great reference. Yeah, Luke's the OG. You have to watch the international version or you've never It's not the international version. Anything. It's the original version. The American one is the bastardized version. No, you're a bastard. Yeah. Uh Luke Connor F life says tells me that every single fucking day. Says, "Hey guys, great work this week covering 264." <laughs> Although it wasn't a week without low moments, BC's midweek die job wouldn't have been out of place at a divorcee's speed dating night. So I thought I could do with an improvement. May all your $15 barbers be loyal. Is this a BC Moutinho here, Luke? Dude, let me tell you something. You got a hell of a chin, BC. I saw Sean O'Malley tee the fuck off on you, and you just yeah, kept coming right. forward. Wow, that is that is pretty hilarious. I'll, I'll I'll accept that. I'll take that L. I'll fall on that that shoe that shoe polish L. Uh, finally, this is Jamie from Los Angeles. That was my shoe that you guys drank out of. Oh. You guys rock. Love the content. Hope you do more live shows together in the future, Luke. It's that Jaime. was the most. It's Jaime. Are you I saying I'm? Uh... Oh, sorry, Jaime. Yes, it's yes, Jaime. Luke. Yes, thank you, Luke. Um. Would you, would you give a final comments about the shoe? Like, I had to pick out a giant chunk of the, the inner sole out yeah, of it before dude, I drank. Yeah, dude, they handed me the shoe. They handed me the shoe, and I was like, did you pull this out of a fire? 
like where has this where has this diseased uh, vessel been for the last four and a half years? And it's been on Jaime's gross ass feet apparently, and we still did it. I don't I don't know of any lingering health effects, BC, but I'm I'm not gonna do another one of those anytime soon. For the record, Jaime was wearing socks with those awful shoes. And yes. uh, look, I had a lot of people close to me be like, "Like, hey, bro, that was fun, good entertainment, really good episode." But like, with your black liver and all, you really should not have done that. They're probably right, honestly. I like to say that they're wrong, but they're probably not wrong. All right, hey, look, we gave them two hours today, okay? I, you know, do, we did. Go, okay, go in the comments. Oh, too much Jake Paul, too much boxing. Yo, fuck you, bro. Okay, all yeah. right. Let me just preemptively put that out there. Uh, and you can dead wrong us for Friday's show. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to send those. Plus any uh, fan submissions you might have. Pictures or photoshops or anything else in between. Hey guys, I'm trying to tell you. Bellator Friday, boxing on Saturday. Showtime's the place to do it. You can go to showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. There you have it. A big weekend on Showtime. Uh, you can follow us on social. Um, you, we, we've got what? We've got uh, Instagram. We've got Twitter. Morning Combat's name is the same everywhere, as you can see here. But uh, slightly different names for BC and I between Twitter and Instagram. And um, yeah, morningcombat.store if you want some merch. Oh, we should say something. The uh, one, we want you to um, go vote in the podcast awards. We can put the, the logo up for that here in just a second. There you have it. Podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Please go vote. It would bring a lot to our bosses. But more importantly than that, uh, Room Service Diaries came out yesterday. It's still up there. I want everyone to know we're going to do those in the future. But in the future, that's probably going to be subscription-only content. Now, what does that mean? Oh, look, I don't want to pay for a subscription. Good news. It's free. It's totally free. But uh, you got to sign up. You got to click that subscribe, and you will be getting Room Service Diaries. But if you don't, you may not get it in the future. So just putting that out there, right, BC? Uh, happy 33rd birthday to Conor McGregor today, Luke. Also, RIP, the late, great, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Luke, wrestling deaths happen often of our former heroes that we grew up on, but some of them hit harder than others. And uh, the great Mr. Wonderful, Luke, was involved in the feud that activated my childhood passion in 1986 when he turned on Hulk Hogan. Uh you know, there was the flower shop thing We're on the phone. Where, where is he? You know, I mean, dude, it's just, it's, I love that man, Luke. Okay. He was in the, the main event of WrestleMania one. I mean, you know, do you have any affinity for Mr. Wonderful Luke? I frankly don't know anything about him. I'm sorry. That's great. That's great. Great stuff. Great stuff, Luke. Okay. I hope your sorry. heroes die one day too. Okay. Uh, they do all the time. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, that's it for us today. Long show. We appreciate everyone who stuck around. We have interviews coming out. I have an interview with Phil DeRue. It's uh, Dustin Poirier's. Uh, performance coach it'll be out i think later today or so and then friday we're back so there it is uh okay for brian campbell for malka for showtime and cbs sports thanks to everyone who watched we're back on friday and until then may all of your gains be loyal